When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nebraska Public Media Sports brings you Nebraska baseball. Catch our live coverage as the Huskers meet the Indiana Hoosiers on the Diamond at Hawksfield at Haymarket Park in Lincoln. Watch Friday, May 10th at 6 p.m. Central on Nebraska Public Media. Welcome to Herd at Sports Radio. Talking about government, justice, and what I took away from that class was that you're innocent until proven guilty. Now Wilson looks like he's checking here. Nope, it's a pass. He's got Javante wide open. Javante makes the catch. Walks into the end zone. Touchdown, Denver. For the win. Lutz kicks it on the way, and it is good. The Broncos can celebrate because they have come to Buffalo and upset the Bills by a final score of 24 to 22. Probably not going to have five turnovers and win very many games, especially in the Big Ten. But to have five turnovers and lose by three is uh, is says a lot. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, just to have that game be close versus a talented Maryland team. You know, we want to have fourth quarter shutouts. You know, we, we, we can't give them the ball to 25 yard line no matter how they got it and have a penalty and have a missed assignment that leads to a field goal. So. Uh, there's a lot of lessons to be learned, but I was proud of the guys, and I'm excited to take them out there this week. They continue to fight each and every week, and more importantly, they get better. And so I'm, I'm proud of where we're headed, and uh, with that, I'll see all the questions you guys have. Good morning, and welcome into Hurt Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Uh, Andrew Rogers, I believe, will be joining me a little bit later. He got into a little bit of a traffic situation, so... Uh, he's all right uh, and everything, just uh, he is not quite here yet. Uh, Shane Schillerberg joining me as producer over there. And we are live on AM590 ESPN Omaha and ESPN Tri-Cities uh, doing the show live from the Herd at Sports Bar and Grill. Uh, terrific show for you here today. Obviously, there is a lot of football stuff still to get to. Um, we're in one of my favorite parts of the year where well we're getting there i love a coaching search so the the coaching carousel is one of my favorite things and i know that these are actual people and their actual jobs and they have families and lives i get that okay and i understand that outside of the head coaches you know a lot of the assistants are not as well compensated to not work as the head coaches are i understand that as well but the pure drama and speculation and rumors and everything like that about coaching searches I absolutely love so I understand there's real people involved and I also love the drama of it so let's just get that clear right uh, out of the gate obviously you've got the Texas A&M job that came open over the weekend Mississippi State's available and I know you heard the Harbaugh clip there to start the open I am wondering more and more if the Michigan job ends up open 
as well. I know Andrew's got some thoughts on the Harbaugh suspension, so I won't, I'll leave him some room there uh, once he gets here. But I also feel like I need to address kind of that clip there from Coach Harbaugh because uh, this is a very common misconception among – uh, just all people, I think, really. He's talking about uh, being innocent until proven guilty and things like that. And I have terrible news for you, Jim, that only that only happens, that only exists uh, in the court of law when there are legal issues at hand. Uh, the Constitution and due process and all of that really doesn't protect you from private entities. We talked to Thomas about it last week about due process and who is uh, legally obligated to be a part of due process and or, or take part in due process. And unless you're acting as an agent of the state or the state itself, you really have no obligation to due process. And it's the same thing. You know, I hear people all the time like, oh, it's my First Amendment rights. It's like, yes, you're not going to go to prison for the stupid thing that you said. But that doesn't mean that your employer can't fire you for the stupid thing you said. It's the same dynamic here. The the uh, the legal ramifications only protect you from being put in prison or being prosecuted for whether it's the the cheating scandal at Michigan or your First Amendment rights or whatever, right? Maybe it should protect you from other things as well. That's a different discussion for probably a different program and some lawyers. But the fact is, it doesn't protect you from being suspended by the Big Ten because the Big Ten isn't the government and you're not going to prison for whatever you did, Jim Harbaugh. So I'm sorry to break it to you. You get no protection under the law outside of like wrongful termination and guess what you cheated so and you haven't been terminated so i don't know what to tell you jim but innocent until proven guilty really doesn't apply here um we appreciate the our friends on the youtube stream where you can find us streaming live every morning you can also uh find us on twitter or wherever you get uh your podcasts bald book tuber uh, it says Harbaugh and the entire Michigan team embracing this role as victims is pathetic and laughable. Yeah, it's I mean, it really feels like they're trying to play this thing as if they're the ones that have been wronged here. Like, oh, look how look how the big, bad, mean Big Ten is treating us. Aren't we? Isn't it terrible? No one feels bad for you, Michigan. You cheated. Like whether it's a dumb rule or not or whether it only is even possible because archaic college football rules don't allow you to have technology in your helmets to speak to one another without having to signal in plays with you know Daffy Duck and and the Looney Tunes on on giant play cards like yeah it's there's a lot of dumb things happening that lead to this but the fact of the matter is uh, nobody else is filmed on other people's sidelines or uh, buying tickets in their own names to sporting events that they are not supposed to be at this is a really pretty cut and dry situation with Michigan and they're trying to I don't know if they like hired a PR firm and they're trying to spin it or what exactly but whatever they're doing it's stupid and I think it's making people hate them more which is tough to do because people kind of hate Michigan already uh there's a very 
there's a very pretentious attitude that Michigan tends to give off, and I think that's part of the reason why we enjoy this scandal so much is there's a definite, like, holier-than-thou attitude that Michigan has always given off. Like, oh, we're above the fray and above reproach. It's like, oh, no, you're as bad, if not worse, than everyone. Uh, so those – and it's kind of – you know, I'm sure you know people like this. You're that, innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, except you're not, Jim. You're not. If somebody accuses you of murder, then, yes, you're innocent of pr- until proven guilty. If somebody says, hey, you broke these – You're big- innocent until proven guilty. Hey, somebody says you, you broke these Big Ten rules about scouting and filming opponents and whatever – uh, you know, it's kind of whatever the Big Ten wants to do. That's how it works. The Big Ten cannot throw you in jail. Therefore, they don't have to say you're innocent until proven guilty. That's pretty much how it works. Um, but no, I think people really kind of relish in the fact that Michigan is in this. And honestly, they're in this poor light because of their own actions. And I think people really enjoy it because of how uh, condescending Michigan is to the rest of the world. And especially the rest of college athletics, I think they think of themselves as sort of an Ivy League school that's also good at athletics. Well, guess, well, guess what? You're not in the Ivy League. If you want to go be in the Ivy League, go over, go over there and, and don't give out scholarships and have a good time and don't make all the Big Ten money. Oh, you don't want to do that? Okay, cool. Then stop complaining and, and quit acting like you're better than everybody else. You're the exact same. I get that you have a good law school. Nobody in the Big Ten cares about that. Uh, so there's plenty of stuff with Harbaugh. I just... After I heard that clip, I just had to get a little, a couple, two cents in there. You're innocent. Uh, Thomas on YouTube asks, and listen, I, I didn't bring this up. Shane, I want you to mark it down here. I did not bring up Creighton basketball at 7 o'clock in the morning. Thomas did. I'm You're just, innocent until proven guilty. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm answering the questions of the people. Uh, Thomas asks, is Creighton like, more likely to hit their, um, is more likely to hit their over in points or hold their opponents to the under. I think it's definitely more likely they're going to hit the over in points. Uh, this team is an offensive juggernaut, it appears, uh, through two games, which is a very small sample size, to be granted. But um, I think they're going to have a way easier time scoring points. Uh, not that I think they're going to have a hard time uh, stopping teams at all, but the offense, I think, is ahead of the defense. Um, did you guys hit the over yesterday on the uh, length of the uh, press conference? I did. The so Matt Rule press conference after the show. I don't think we did this on the air. We did not. Okay, so after the show, we were at guessing how long Coach Rule's press conference would be, and uh, I set the over under at thirty five and a half. In which case, I would have taken the over. But Andrew set the over under at thirty eight and a half. In which case I took the it under thirty six forty three, and so I nailed both of those. I'm gonna I'm gonna call the same game parlay. Call our friends at Warhorse. See if I can cash that in. I would cash it. In, <laughs> yes, uh, but no, we we've got plenty of uh, rule audio to get to uh, as well. Uh, Ryan on YouTube in re- reference to Michigan says a bunch of bullies, pure and simple. And Thomas says it's even dumber idea to portray yourself as a victim when you don't deny wrongdoing. Yeah, he makes a good point there, Michigan. <clears throat> has you're yet. innocent until proven guilty. No, you're not, Jim. Uh, Michigan has yet to actually said they say they didn't do this, which is the funniest thing about all of it. Is they're not like, oh yeah, we didn't do this. He was acting alone, anything like that. They're just like, I mean, why would we listen to a low-level staffer when there's video of him talking to coordinators during games? It's kind of hilarious. Um, and a good point there by TK. We appreciate everybody chiming in on the YouTube channel. Um, coming up on the show today, and we'll get to uh, 
I do want to get to Texas A&M a little bit because I think people think that's a better job than maybe it is, and you know we'll, we'll get into that for sure. Uh, we've got, like I said, a ton of stuff with the rule audio to get to for everything from questioning and being critical of coaches to who the quarterback is going to be. Uh, coming up at 8, we're going to talk to our guy, the college football professor, Adam McClintock. Always super right good stuff from Adam. And as we get into kind of coaching silly season here, um, going to be even uh, better in terms of the timing of getting Adam on here. I might, I mean, change just a heads up. As we get into uh, coaching silly season, I might want to talk to Adam just like every week. Oh, that's okay. All right, good. Are, are there any other... Uh, are the top two professions where 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 the silly season happens, where mm-hmm. people kind of jump chairs, kind of jump ship? Is it is it broadcasting and is it coaching? Ooh, it's definitely or sports. It's definitely coaching more than broadcasting. I know people move around a lot in broadcast in broadcasting, but we see it with the TV stations, we see it with the radio stations, yeah, we see it at the newspaper. But generally in broadcasting, unless you do something like horribly idiotic like Tom Brenneman or somebody um the usually you don't get fired in broadcasting just for not being very good at your job you get fired if you like swear on the air or you use a slur or something like that but that doesn't happen a ton usually in broadcasting they kind of let your contract run out and then you go sign somewhere else if they don't like you but in coaching people get fired all the time so it's even more dramatic in coaching because you've got even more changeover um, broadcasting is a good one, though. There's, there is uh, a decent amount of change in broadcasting. Uh, we had our guys Joe Buck and Troy Aikman move from Fox to the ESPN. Um, right. So you get, I mean, you get a decent amount of movement, but generally people don't get fired at the same rate as they do in coaching. So I would say coaching is still uh, a little bit more dramatic. But I don't know that there's one that's closer to coaching than broadcasting is. So that's a fair point. You're innocent until proven guilty. Still no, Jim. Um, so we're going to get to Adam McClintock at 8. We're going to talk to our Tuesday friend Mike Schaefer at 9 from Husker 24-7. And then at 9.45, we're going to talk to Jim Polzine from the Wisconsin State Journal, start getting our preview of the Badgers uh, going here. Uh, middle of the show, we are planning to do Hurt at Hot Seat if Andrew's back by then. Uh, if he's not, then uh we're just going to put Shane in the hot seat, and he's going to have to answer my questions. So With arms wide open. With arms wide open. See, he's he's looking forward to it. Loves being on the show. No. Um, <laughs> not really at all. Let's get into the Rule audio uh, before – or some of the things Rule brought up in his audio before uh, we get into some of the other stuff like Texas A&M. Uh, first thing – first and foremost, I, I think the quarterback position is – the thing that we've all been thinking about you know I asked Andrew about it yesterday I was leaning towards I think it's going to be Chubba nothing that he that rule said yesterday changed my mind about that uh I did see the official depth chart we have a official double or situation so it's Heinrich or Jeff or Chubba listed as the starting quarterback um on the official University of Nebraska depth chart, so that's something. I don't know what, but it is something. I don't think Heinrich's going to play. With the way they were talking about the ankle, the high ankle sprain, we saw with Jeff Sims, with his high ankle sprain earlier in the year, uh, he wasn't even really available for a couple games, much less 100%. 
with the way Heinrich's game is, if he can't run, then I you really can't put him out there. He is not a good enough passer to be uh, to take away his run threat and and not and feel any kind of good about the way that that you put him in the game. And then so I think it's between Chuba and Jeff. And I'm just being totally honest here. I'm not sure how you can put Jeff Sims back in a football game in a non-emergency situation at this point. Um, the level of I, the level of erosion that's happened with the confidence in Jeff Sims, I don't think that can just be isolated to fans. That ha- I mean, I understand fans and coaches and other players think differently. Does it have to be an injury? For, to get him in? I think so. I think it would have to be, hey, no one else is available. You need to go play. I don't know that you can put him in there. After an interception or two or three? No. I, I mean, I, it would have to be, especially considering how many turnovers he's been responsible for, I think you'd have to have a, like, Bo Davis versus Texas Tech level of offensive ineptitude in order to even consider putting Jeff Sims in the game again because Jeff Sims has almost been a Bo Davis level of ineptitude on offense. Um, If you're not familiar with that reference, go look it up. It's possibly the worst quarterback stat line I've ever seen in my life. The guy played, I think, like three series, had three turnovers. I think he had two picks and a fumble in like four dropbacks. It's crazy. Uh, Anyway. Yeah, so for the older fans like me that remember year one of Bill Callahan, uh, the name Bo Davis holds a special, horrifying place in our hearts. Um, And I'm sure he's a nice person. I never met him, and so this is not anything against him. But uh, you would have to be in a really bad situation, I think, at this point to put Jeff Sims in the game, even though he is apparently the only one that is fully healthy, according to Rule, especially his last two substitute performances with the fumble that was returned for a touchdown and then the um the performance on Saturday against Maryland I just I really don't think you can feel any kind of good about putting Jeff Sims in there at this point and that leaves Chuba who I get through the interception on the goal line I also don't think they put him in a very good position to be successful, and he still was reasonably successful. Uh, I mean, if you remember, he took over that drive inside his own five-yard line, drove them all the way down the field, and then from the sounds of it, the route was not run properly um, by Kemp and, and Coleman. It sounds like Kemp was supposed to go further to the corner. Coleman was supposed to clear. Uh, Kemp and Coleman were both supposed to clear their their defenders earlier than they did, and it left for a bit of a muddled look uh, for Purdy. So, listen, he still has to take responsibility for that throw because I'm, I'm not sure it was still a, a good throw. But I do think he looked the best of the three quarterbacks on, on Saturday, even in a limited sample size. And if Heinrich's not available, which I don't think he is, I know they're going to play this thing probably pretty close to the vest and and take it down to the wire for game time on Saturday. But high ankle sprain with the way Heinrich Harburg plays, I don't think it's reasonable to try and put him out there. And I just, from a psychological standpoint, for the team, for the coaches, for Jeff, for the other players, and, and frankly for the fan base, I don't know that you can continue putting Jeff Sims back out there uh, in, the, in the condition that he's been playing. Uh, I, I just mentally, I, I don't know that 
that's something that you can do, which leaves Chubba. That leaves Chubba Purdy, who, again, he said's a little banged up, but it didn't sound like it was a specific injury. It sounded honestly more just like Chubba was sore from having his first game action uh, in about a year. So that, to me, is where we're at with the quarterback situation. I And frankly, I think... I think Chubba's the right way to go, even if you weren't forced into that situation um, with the injuries. I think starting Chubba, giving him first-team reps in practice this week and giving him an opportunity to actually be successful uh, with some reps under his belt is, I think, the right thing to do. You know, we, we haven't seen a ton of Chubba. I know he started a couple of games last year. I, I know I didn't love what I saw from him when he was at Florida State. Uh, but Coach Rule made a pretty good point yesterday that, you know, quarterback's one of those positions where you have to kind of find any sort of rhythm. And really, Chubba Purdy's never had that opportunity. He's been spot starter here, uh, spot series there, never really been the guy or gotten extended first-team reps in practice. So it's worth seeing what you have there, I think, over the last couple games uh, Thomas chimes in on YouTube. Jeff Sims is definitely pure emergency QB. I would throw in Luke Longvall before him. Uh, yeah, I mean that's fair. I, I I think he is. He has to be an emergency quarterback. I, I don't know. I don't know how you can look your team in the face and and throw him in there. Um, I don't know how you could continue to put him in there and uh, and be able to look your team in the eye and and say that you care about the things that you say you care about. Um, unless they know it's an emergency situation. Um, going back to our conversation about uh, jobs with a ton of turnover, uh, Grant on Twitter brings up a good point. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Lula. He says, in the regular world, you see a tremendous amount of turnover in sales departments. That's true. I've been in a sales department. Um, so I, I do know that is true. I was not very good at it. I don't know if you... That surprises you, Shane. I'm not a sale. I'm not a natural salesman. Uh, that doesn't surprise me, and that's a great. Uh, I'm glad he brought that up because I was wondering that. Yeah, that uh, that's a good one. There's also a ton of. I only know this because my wife is in the culinary world. There's a pretty good amount of turnover in the culinary industry as well. Uh, people hop around quite a bit. So uh, good call out there, Grant. Yeah, I mean, I I um, I, I, I think so. Um, the other Dave, I don't know who the first Dave is, but the other Dave on YouTube uh, asks, did Sims already burn his red shirt? Yeah, so the the game against Maryland was his fifth appearance of the season, I believe. So that would be because um, he played the previous week as well, or it was against Purdue or Michigan State. I'm having a hard time remembering. But then he also took the one snap when Harburg – got a little banged up in uh, one of the games before that as well. So uh, Sims has played in five games. Uh, now the one game he did just play the one snap, so maybe they could try and appeal it or whatever and get a medical red shirt. I, I, but as the rule is, is stated, he has burned his red shirt. So um, that should not be a factor moving forward in whether or not Sims plays. What should be a factor is that he's been very, very bad at football. Yeah, I haven't um, thought about it. I've I, I haven't stopped thinking about it, Coach Rule. It's all I can think about. Day after day after day. Exactly. Um 
So that's uh, that's where the quarterback situation currently sits. Uh, I think it needs to be Chubba Purdy. Uh, Heinrich Harburg would be, I, I think, not available. I, I really don't think Heinrich is available this week uh, considering the nature of his injury and the nature of the way he plays football. So, And that would leave you with Jeff Sims as the backup. And you hope to dear God you don't have to see that uh, this upcoming week against Wisconsin. Uh, coming up next, I do want to get into some thoughts on the Texas A&M job because I think people look at it as a really good job, and there's parts of it that are, uh, but I don't think it's as good of a job as maybe we think it is. Uh, all that and more coming up next here on Herd at Sports Radio. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Everything falls on me. Like, we're not going to start being like, who, who's this, who's that. Like, I'm, no one's going to become divisive with us. Like, everything falls on me, you know. It's just, you know, to be on a headset, the ball's at the five-yard line to try to run guys into the game. The clock was winding really fast that game. <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're up against it. You have a new quarterback. you got to get in the huddle, get out, you know. I'm, um, the last thing, you know, all these things are kind of talked about ahead of time. So if it's wrong, it's on me. Just let's just leave it at that. Like, it's just way easier that way. Um, you know, I have a say on everything. You know, we don't run the fake punt without me doing it. We don't, you know, I don't sit there and want to micromanage every play. But if it's a big play, we're going to do it. Good morning and welcome back to the Herd at Sports Radio. We are live from the H&H Chevrolet stage. At Herd at Sports Bar and Grill. We are live on AM 590 ESPN Omaha. ESPN Tri-Cities as well. You can find us on Twitter and YouTube. As many of our friends have found us over there. Um, there are... There are some... You know, there's some things that Coach Rule said in his press conference yesterday. And, and I am going to get to the Texas A&M stuff here. Um, because I do think it's interesting, but I also, I, I think, I, I do want to touch on some of the comments that Coach Rule made about being critical of coaches and wanting change and wanting to uh, maybe move on from certain people and, and things like that. And first and foremost, I, I appreciate that he acknowledged that it is fair to be critical of what's going on. Um and I under I don't expect him to come out and say, uh, yeah, Coach Satterfield's on the hot seat, and you know if he doesn't really improve here, then we're going to have, you know, we're gonna have to have a discussion about his status. Like obviously he's not going to come out and say that. That's um, that's not a realistic thing for, to expect a head coach to say. So he said about what I expected him to. That clip that he was talking about, not mm -hmm. the one that I just played, but the one you're talking about where he was talking about being critical of other coaches, mm -hmm. I mean, that made my head perk up because I was like, oh, where's he going to go with this? <laughs> I mean, it, that was a really good clip. We'll play that later. Yeah, for sure. And it's a, you know, it, it's, like I said, I like that he acknowledged that, you know, fans are going to be critical and they deserve to be critical. Now, some fans are overly critical and, you know, that's kind of a fine line that you walk there, but... Without, you know, without the fans, sports don't mean anything, right? It, without people caring about what you're doing and without them supporting it financially and all these other things, the sports aren't what they are. They're recreation. Uh, they're not a business. They're not a, you know, seven-figure payday for coaches. They're not any of those things. So there are, 
I think fans have a right to be critical about certain things. Now, I try and keep my criticism to what's happening within the sport itself, and I try not to make it personal unless I believe the personal impacts what's happening on the field. For instance, I thought the way, and you can, I mean, you can go back and listen or look at my tweets or whatever, but I thought the way Scott Frost was handling himself uh, just in his general life was impacting the way he was doing his job, and Um. that turned out to be true. So the you know sometimes they do bleed together and it gets not as clean of a situation as you'd like it to be but for the most part whether it's a player whether it's a coach whatever i try and keep my criticisms to specifically what's happening within their sport and that's how i am with coach satterfield right now i don't know i don't know marcus satterfield uh personally at all and i'm sure he's a nice guy and i'm sure he's a, a good dude otherwise coach rule wouldn't have him on staff and have worked with him multiple times across their careers, but I don't think he's done a very good job this year. Whether that's, and listen, the play calling, individual play calling, I'll be critical of in the moment because it can be really frustrating. And I don't know that, I do think that Satterfield is like a lot of offensive coordinators in that they kind of like to show off how big their brain is and they try and outthink people a little bit more than they need to and they overcomplicate things. Uh, but I think that's pretty common with offensive coordinators, to be honest. Not that it's okay, but I, I think it's pretty common. My issue is what we heard Coach Rule talk about yesterday and after the press conference with the I, this idea that if you've got guys making the same types of mistakes – at a certain position group, then that's probably a coaching or teaching issue within that group. And that quarterback position, their inability to see the field well and see defenders well, I think has to fall on Satterfield because it looks too similar between all three guys. And again, very small sample size on Purdy at this point, but the way that it looks between all three guys is way too similar for me not to think that Satterfield is part of the problem or how Satterfield is teaching that position is part of the problem. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean I think he should be fired. Coach Rule brought up a good point about, hey, constant turnover is not good for building a program either, and I agree. I do think there has to be a discussion, and I don't know that we're there yet, but I do think at some point there has to be a discussion about, hey, there's a certain point where the continuity is not worth the incompetence that we're seeing on the field. And I don't know that we're there yet, but I need you to keep that in the back of your mind because continuity is only worth so much if you're getting better. If you're not getting better and there's still a level of incompetence or uh, poor teaching habits or whatever, then the continuity doesn't actually help you there. So... I need you to keep that in mind as we talk about the Satterfield situation because I don't know that we're there yet, but we we very well might get to a point where the continuity is not worth what we're getting on the field. You know, we talked about this uh, with Andrew yesterday. Yeah, guys might have a lot of experience, but bad experience doesn't make you better. Bad ex- like experience at being bad, sometimes it can get through the growing pains and stuff like that, but 
a lot of times, if you're just experienced and bad, you're still going to be bad. So I don't know how much that's worth uh, with Satterfield, but unless they fix the way they're teaching the quarterback position, and this isn't just a Nebraska thing, Satterfield's offenses have been turnover prone in the past. Obviously, this is a different level of turnover prone, but it, it seems like it might be a common thread within his offenses. And so that's something to keep in mind. What I think I'd like to see, and this was the original plan, by the way, was for someone else to come in and be the quarterback's coach. Let Satterfield call plays, run the offense, design everything, whatever. Maybe he, I think he was originally intended to coach tight ends. But then you bring in somebody separate to specifically be the quarterback's coach to help them go through their reads and progressions and learn how to see the field a little bit better. So that's not on Satterfield because that's the place that I think has been Satterfield's biggest failing so far this year is helping the quarterbacks develop in a way that they see the field better. I've had some issues with the play calling, sure, although I think he's done an okay job of leaning into what he has uh, healthy and available. I've had some issues with specific play calls, but in general, I, I don't hate the way he's tried to adapt his offense. Where I do think his biggest failing is I don't think any of the quarterbacks are seeing the field well. I don't think they're seeing defenders well. That's where I'd maybe like to say, see, hey, let's bring in a quarterbacks coach, a specific quarterbacks only coach to help these guys out to make sure they develop because you're not always going to have a defense this good that keeps you in games. And frankly, it's kind of a waste, not kind of, it's a huge waste of a defense this good to not have an offense that can score even a little bit. And a lot of that's on the quarterbacks. I, I genuinely think there are throws there. I think there's plays there. I think there's open guys. And that's part of the reason I'm not calling for Satterfield's job is because I think, again, theoretically, which we talked about with Andrew yesterday, theoretically some of these plays work. But if you can't execute them, then the theory really doesn't matter. While Satterfield's pretty good at coming up with the theory, it seems like we need a quarterback's coach, in my opinion, to help the guys in that room execute what Satterfield's putting available in theory. Um, if you've got thoughts on this, Nebraska, the Texas A&M job, whatever, give us a call at 888-638-4876 um, on that Warhorse Sportsbook hotline. I, I really think that a quarterback's coach is the answer. Now, obviously, you'd have to send either you'd have to have a uh, current on-field coach not be there anymore or you put them in an analyst off-field role um, but there are options and ways to do that for sure Fred hang on the line there we will get to you uh, as soon as we get back from break we also will get to as I promised some of that Texas A&M stuff because I want to talk about that before we talk to Adam McClintock at 8 o'clock all that and more coming up on Herd at Sports Radio You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. You know, but to be uh, to, to be like that is is you know I, I I don't understand. But with all that being said, this is competitive. This is a life we've chosen. This world to me is always, is always like the mafia. Like, you know, you 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 get hired, eventually you get whacked, and you know you you live as much as you can in between. So. Ow. Wrapping up hour number one here on Hurt at Sports Radio. 
I'm Rafi Rula. Andy Rogers, I believe, will be joining us here in a little while. How about how about Coach going on? Good fellas there. Uh, so I think that was actually more Godfather. I'll, I'll get to that in a second here. Um, uh, Andrew will be joining us here in a little while. I have a little traffic issue this morning. so. Uh, and he, you said he was all right. Yeah, he's okay. Um, just uh, getting things sorted out on his end over there. So uh, he'll join us when he can, uh, if he can. But in the meantime, yeah, so that was a – that was, I believe that's Hyman Roth in Godfather 2 talking to Michael about uh, you know, doing the line, this is the business we've chosen. Uh, when Michael's asking about who gave the order, uh, to, I believe to kill Frank Pantangeli. What a great movie! If I remember correctly, and then he goes off into this, uh, he goes off into this speech about, uh, you know, there once was this kid uh, who was out in, in in Las Vegas, and he turned this desert outpost into, you know, the the greatest town in the world, and. And that man's name was Mo Green. <laughs> yep. And, and when when someone, and when he was killed, I I didn't ask who gave the order because this is the business we've chosen. Uh, so it's a little <laughs> little Godfather two there uh, from our guy Coach Rule. So I appreciated that. Godfather two better than Godfather one. So I think it's a better movie. I like Godfather one better. Like I enjoy watching Godfather. Is it because of Marlon? Partly because of Marlon. I also think it's a little bit, this sounds weird, I feel like it's a little bit more hopeful in the sense of you kind of see the decay of, of Michael Corleone's character throughout, um, throughout Godfather 2. Like he just becomes fully, you know, fully powerful, fully corrupt, and he ends up all alone, which is probably what would happen in that scenario. I um, mean, it's a very, it's an incredible movie. I do love the flashback scenes with Vito, uh, with uh, Robert De Niro as young Vito Corleone. Um, those are incredible. Uh, it's a very good movie. I mean, it's not that I don't like Godfather 2 because I love it, but I think Godfather 1 is a little bit more a, like, romanticized view of mafia life, and I tend to like those versions of mafia stories a little bit better. Um, but... He, I mean, he's right. You know, you get into this business, you're going to get fired. That's kind of how it works. And uh, obviously he knows that from his time at Carolina. But, you know, if you're successful at Nebraska, we'll keep you forever. I promise you that. Um, let's get to the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline. Our guy, Fred. We lost Fred. Oh, Fred, call back, buddy. And that's my fault. I, I, I led you down the wrong path there, going down Godfather Part 2. So. Oh, that's all right. Fred, uh, call back. Fred, give us a call back. We'll uh, we'll get into your, your topic there. Uh, if you want to join us on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline, it's 888-638-4876. Um, I wanted to get into Texas A&M here because – Obviously, Jimbo Fisher got fired. Um, you know, he got the he got the uh, end of Godfather one treatment. You know, the the Mo Green treatment, if you will, uh, by Texas A and M. And I, first of all, I think people have this idea of. I don't know when you when you when you die in the mafia like that, you usually die like broken alone. Like mm, that's true. You know, Jimbo Fisher's going away with seventy million. So that's true. This is this is maybe a little bit more uh, Michael Corleone at the end of Godfather too. Rich and 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 set and yeah, it's set for life, but maybe also a little broken and alone, just just not dead and well paid. Um, you know, he 
he didn't do a super good job at, at Texas A&M. That's not a hot take. He had the one good season. It was 2020, which, frankly, I just don't count for anything because it's such a weird year and there's so many outlier results from that year. So if that's, you know, like Harbaugh's one really bad year was 2020. Fisher's one really good year at A&M was 2020. You know, Indiana was really good in 2020. It's it's a kind of a crapshoot year. So I try not. I try to take the results of 2020 with a grain of salt, um, especially if it's an outlier for your season. But as we kind of look at this Texas A&M job, I I think it's important to sort of realize what type of job this is because there's a couple things I think at play here, and. First of all, I think people think this is a better job than it is. Yes, it's in Texas. Okay, so you've got recruiting base, all that, whatever. You know, it's also everybody else is trying to recruit Texas as well. So, yes, it helps to be there and be one of the home state schools. But it's not like you're finding a bunch of diamonds in the rough. Like, people know about kids from Texas. That's not – it's not a secret out there. Um you're also little brother in your own state. Like, Texas is always going to be bigger than Texas A&M. That's just how it is. Now, I think Texas A&M might be a little bit bigger to people in Texas than people outside realize. Um, A&M's a pretty big deal in Texas, but it's still not Texas. And the one thing they had over Texas was being in the SEC. Well, guess what? That's gone next year, that advantage of being the... Texas representative to the SEC is gone next year because Big Brother's moving in on your block. And historically, this is not a super successful program. They have played 121 years of college football. They have not claimed a national title. And listen, even the ones they claim are a little dubious. They have not claimed a national title since 1939. That is pre-AP poll era. That is, which started about a decade later. That is a not super successful college football program. And that's not just national titles. Well, I've, I've got some other things as well, right? But it is important to know this team has not even been able to claim a national title since 1939 that's pretty bad especially at a school that holds itself in the regard that they do and aside from the national titles they have just 12 10 win seasons ever 121 years of college football only 12 10 win seasons in their history just two since 1996. That's surprising. Two 10-win seasons since 1996. Nebraska has had seven since Tom Osborne left. Nebraska, who has famously struggled for the last 25 years, has seven 10-win seasons in less time than Texas A&M has two. And I bet a lot of people right now would tell you that Texas A&M is a better job than Nebraska. Just first blush. Nebraska, even in the worst stretch of their college football history, has, is more successful, has more wins than Texas A&M does. Texas A&M and Nebraska, 
both have their most recent 10 year or 10 win season in 2012. Texas A&M has not been dramatically more successful than Nebraska. Now the last 6 years they have, but in general and even in in pretty recent history, certainly go back further than you go into the Tom Osborne era, it's not even close. But even in the post-Tom Osborne era, Nebraska has been more successful than Texas A&M, and I'm not sure very many people would realize that. Uh, before we get into more Texas A&M here, Tim on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline has some thoughts on the Nebraska QB spot. Tim, what do you have for me this morning? Hey, uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, when we talk about the quarterback position, it's always about these three guys. And what if in the event one of them gets hurt, sick, and we're down to where, like, none of them can play? It seems to me, if my recollection is correct, that we had another quarterback come in besides uh, Thims. I can't remember his name. And then, of course, we have to have a walk-on or two in the program. Um, I just want you to address that. And I know they're probably not ready to play at a high level, but if push comes to shove, what do we do if we have to have a fourth quarterback? And any uh, conversation about maybe trying the running or uh, trying a running back in the uh, Wildcat, so forth. Anyway, I'll take I'll take your uh, answer off here. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate the call. Uh, that's Tim on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline. So um, the quarter there's three scholarship quarterback is Jeff. That's funny because I asked you the same question the other day. Yeah, it's Jeff Sims, it's Heinrich Harburg, and Chubba Purdy all are these scholarship quarterbacks. Outside of that, you've got uh, Jack Wochi, who is a redshirt freshman um, from he's from the IMG Academy. I believe he was at Ole Miss before that as well. I, I don't think he played at all, really, at Ole Miss. Um, and then you have uh, Luke Longvall, who is also a redshirt freshman, he is from Sioux City, Iowa, went to Iowa Western uh, Community College. So those would be your options at quarterback if the scholarship guys uh, go down. Those are your fourth and fifth options. I don't know what order they are fourth and fifth. Um, I just Those are the other two guys that are uh, the options at quarterback. I think they would... I don't know that they would consider a full-time Wildcat quarterback situation unless they went through all five of those guys for some reason. And even then, I think they would find a guy who could just turn around and hand the ball off. Um, kind of like Brock Purdy in, or yeah, kind of like Brock Purdy in the NFC Championship game last year, where he's just, that was awful. Where he was just handing the ball off terrible. because his arm was exploded. Uh, I really just wanted to see Christian McCaffrey at Wildcat, but uh, even then. Yeah, so I don't think that's an. I don't think the Wildcat exclusive quarterback is an option. I not, hope not. Not full time for Nebraska. Jeez. Maybe they would sprinkle that in there, but um, so that's the quarterback situation. Uh, coming up next, we're going to get more into Texas A&M and that head coaching spot with Adam McClintock, the college football professor here on Herdat Sports Radio. You're listening to Herdat Sports Radio. I'm going to talk on uh, Friday. Um, you know, just looking, just looking for uh, for that opportunity. You know, due process. Uh, not looking for special treatment. Not looking for a popularity contest. Just looking for the merit of uh, what the case is. Kicking off hour number two. 
here on Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers uh, not in yet today, dealing with some traffic issues. He is okay, though. Uh, We are brought to you by our friends at Dingman's Collision Center. They've got four great Omaha area locations. They will take care of you regardless of what you need with your vehicle. Uh, They are the best because they invest, not just in the latest technology so that they can work on whatever make and model you have, but because they also invest in the community with their give back program. Every car they repair, they're going to give back to the community. Go check out more on the services they offer and their give back program at Dingman's.com. Our guy Andrew is going to have to go pay them a visit here uh, after today. But we are joined now on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline by our good friend, the college football professor, Adam McClintock. Adam, what's going on, man? Not much, man. How are you doing? I am doing good. You know, I was, I was talking earlier uh, on the show how uh, this is kind of one of my f- – we're starting to get into one of my favorite times of year because I am sort of obsessed with the coaching carousel silly season nonsense. I just think it's a lot of fun. I understand there are actual people's lives involved here, but the pure drama of it is very enjoyable for me. With what you guys do, I have to imagine this is your like hyper busy season as well. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> we're, we're 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 turning plates. That's for sure, man. It's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> we're <laughs> we're kind of going in all directions right now. I mean, it, this year, you know, we we, we got our our first client called us um, in early September. <laughs> so that's 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 when it started this year. It's 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 been an, uh, every year we've done this. It's got a little. We we, we those, those calls have started to come in. You know, a little and little earlier. So, um, it's it's going to get wild this year. This could be a, a, a carousel to, to end all carousels. <laughs> you know, for sure. I mean, we've already got uh, a very high profile job open in Texas A and M. Uh, Mississippi State opened up as well. San Diego State's going to open up at the end of the year. Um, let's start with Texas A and M, though, because I was kind of making the argument that. It might not be, despite the resources, may not be as good of a job as people maybe think or maybe that Texas A&M thinks just due to the expectations versus their actual uh, history of success or lack thereof. When you look at that Texas A&M job, what type of candidates are you? Th- do you think that job will attract? Is it still going to be top-tier guys just because of the money or – do the expectations and pressure that they put on their coaches maybe steer some guys away that are already in good situations? I mean, I think they'll shoot for top tier guys. I mean, with, with, with the type of money that they have there, they, they're going to be able to get that coach that's looking for a, uh, you know, looking for a, a payday. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're that in itself is, is, is going to attract some attention. Now, will they get that? Those, those big names? I, I don't know. I mean, Texas A&M, one of the biggest advantages they had the past, you know, seven or eight years was that they were the, you know, the program in the state of Texas that, that, that was in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that goes away when Texas joins, and, 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 and to some, some extent when Oklahoma joins as well, because Oklahoma recruits Texas about as much as the Texas schools do. Mm-hmm. So they're losing that advantage off the top. They'll, they're, they're, they'll be, you know, two or even maybe even three in their own state, right? Um, I count Oklahoma as a Texas school, so their 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 recruiting profile is is Texas. So, um, 
like like I said, they're they're going to shoot for the top because that's that that's what, what what they've done and who they've been. But but they'll probably have to settle for a little bit less of a name than their than their fan base is really comfortable with, and that might not be a bad thing. Take some pressure off of off of uh, whoever gets that job. Um, I know back back when Jimbo Fisher was hired, we weren't involved in that. We weren't we weren't involved in that hiring, but we said that that they were just basically going out and hiring Kevin Sumlin again. <laughs> and that Fisher would have the same would, would have the same record as someone did when he, when, he, when he got fired, and I mean look at it now, and that's exactly what, what has happened. He's they they they, they, they just hired the wrong guy. <laughs> Jimbo Fisher, he had a few good years at Florida State, but he also had uh, Jameis Winston to, to fall back on on those best years. So um, we'll we'll see if they can do better this time. Yeah, Adam, I'm curious about Jimbo Fisher and kind of the job that he has done both at Texas A&M and at Florida State. I mean, things really fell off at the end of the Florida State years for sure. Um, but I guess uh, what do your analytics say about his performance as a coach overall? He's very average. He's a very average coach. Um, like, Good recruiter, I, I assume, is where he gets most of the bump. Yeah, excellent recruiter. I mean, he he, he gets <clears throat> he gets recruits in there, but he under he underperforms his talent. Mm-hmm. He's always under underperformed his talent. The only year he didn't under underperform his under underperform his talent was that one year at Florida State. Um, he's always had a massive talent advantage, and he continually pumps out you know underperforming seasons with that talent. You you think about who Texas A and M is around and and their roster talent, you know. Uh, profile, they're around in LSU and and uh, and Alabama and Georgia. They're in that. They're in that same. Yeah, the top you know, tier, right? With, exactly. And 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 their results have have not been near that. So he's 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 a very average coach in, in our analytics. And and this we are not we were not surprised at all to hear that he was going to be let go after this year. It, as far as candidates, and, and I know you're involved in some of this, so whatever you can't answer, just, just tell me. That's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as potential candidates for that job, you know, you mentioned maybe an under-the-radar hire or a less prominent hire, you know, than, like, obviously Dan Lanning, I think people would view as a home run from Oregon. He comes out yesterday and says he's not a candidate, which makes me think he is a candidate, but, you know, that's kind of the kind of the coach speak of it all this time of year, right? It's like, I'm not going anywhere, right. and I was like, all right, he's gone. No, um, but, you know, so does a guy maybe like, maybe not this guy specifically, but maybe a, like a Mike Elko profile maybe make more sense to you at Texas A&M? Yeah, exactly, and he's familiar with Texas A&M. You know, he, he, he kind of knows what he's getting into going there. Maybe that's the reason why he doesn't come. You know, <laughs> yeah, <I was> like, <laughs> you <yeah>. never know. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, I think I think you're you're looking in the range of of Mike Elko and of uh, oh even oh Jeff Trailer at UTSA. I think would be a sneaky un, uh, under the radar hire for for Texas A&M if if they were if their fan base was able to to you know kind of swallow their pride a little bit and, and take a risk on a guy who's an up to comer. Um, somewhere, somewhere in that range is, is where I think they would they would fall and, and be the most successful. So with, I mean, I, I've seen Jeff Trailer's name out there a little bit. I do you actually think Texas A and M could bring themselves to making that hire? Because I'm not sure they could. No, not at all. No, <laughs> like <laughs> I think the ego, is, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. The, they could never sell that to the fan base, right? Even if it's a great hire, I just don't. I think their brains would explode. 
oh yeah, Yale practices would would would, would be completely empty. <laughs> what would it do without their Yale practice, right? <laughs> We're talking with Adam McClintock, college football professor. Professor, He's from Matrix Analytica. Um, You know, there's another job that came open with the uh, Mississippi State job. Uh, Were you surprised at all that they moved on uh, just after the one year there, or did this always kind of feel like a buffer year to you at that Mississippi State job? Well, that was a a tough situation, you know, for everybody. It's unprecedented. You know, I I think, I mean – during a season for, the, for that to happen or, or, or right after a season. Uh, and I, I know that's kind of how Fitzgerald took over at Northwestern was, was when their previous coach had passed. But I think, you know, with, with leeches being so sudden, mm-hmm. um, that just put that whole situation. I mean, there, there was no good way forward there. <laughs> I mean, they, right. Mississippi State did, did the best they could. They, they, they tried to do right by the coaches who were still on staff because, you know, there, there was a lot of, you know, deals hanging in the air with, with some of those assistants that Leach was privy of, but nobody else was quite privy of yet at the, at the university. So they tried to they tried to navigate all those waters, and um, I think they did the best they could with, 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 with what they had, but it just wasn't working, and, and, and uh, it, I, I don't think it's a bad choice to move on, but um, it, it, there just really wasn't an easy way to go about that. Adam, I'm wondering about that Mississippi State job. I think it's low-key one of the hardest jobs in Power 5 football. Am I crazy? No, you're not at all, especially with, with, with the additions coming in with, with Oklahoma and Oklahoma and, and Texas. Yeah. Mississippi, Mississippi State recruits in the, 20, in the 20 to 30 range, and that puts them at the bottom, you know, in the bottom three of the SEC in recruiting profile. So, um, which is crazy to say because right. in team league, you know, they, they all recruit the top 30. So It's like them and Vandy, right? Like that's the bottom? Yeah, them and Vandy and, and, and Kentucky and, and Arkansas. And, and Arkansas is a top 25 recruiter. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's wild. Waters that, that's that, wild. It is, yeah. So, I mean, that's that type of waters that, are, that, that the SEC has there. And, and it, it, it is going to be a tough job. So what they need to look for in a coach is a guy who is used to coaching against better talent. They need to they, they need to look for a guy who who is able to punch above his his weight class and uh, is able to get some results that way. So not that these guys would be interested. I know their names have come up at uh, for the Texas A and M at least on these random lists that are you know just people like me making things up, which is fine. Um, but like so, like a Lance Leipold, Chris Kleiman, is that kind of where you're like a that type of profile in terms of punching above their weight at Mississippi State? Yes, exactly. You know, Chris Kleiman, uh, Lance Leipold, um, you know, Jamie Chadwell, any any of those guys who, who you know, punch above their weight class, who, who are able to, to take less talented teams in, into, into conferences and environments where they are not going to be the most talented team on the field, but they still find a way to out-scheme and, and, and develop their players in a way to, to, to win those ballgames. Do you think Jamie Chadwell, with the success he's had at Liberty after, obviously, his great run over at Coastal Carolina, do you think he makes that jump to Power 5 football this year, or do you think maybe he needs another year or two to kind of show more proof of concept? Do you think somebody takes a chance on him? They should. Somebody should take a chance. I, was, I thought they should have last year, frankly, but that, that's just me. No, yeah, we, 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 we tried to push his name to, to a few clients last year, and, and they just weren't ready to quite pull the trigger yet. Now that he's done it at, at you know, at Liberty, you know, in, in year one, 
maybe maybe that's a that's a wake up call to some of those athletic directors out there. Do you think uh, Signetti over at James Madison is going to be a name on some of the as more of these jobs open up that that some of these Power Five schools look at? Maybe starting, he might be this year where Chadwell was last year, where people are starting to not laugh at his name when it's brought up. Okay, but, but uh, um, be more more just kind of watching to see what happens there in the next and next year or so. I expect him to get more attention next year if 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 uh, James Madison continues their their uh, their run. But this year might be a little premature for him to be getting some power five looks. Uh, so another job that is going to be open that we mentioned, and and there's some loose ties to Nebraska here, uh, is that San Diego State job with Brady Hoke announcing he's going to retire at the end of the year. Um, I guess, and I know Nebraska fans aren't even going to like me putting this in the universe, but uh, how how realistic of a candidate do you think Tony White is for that head coaching job? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's a tough one for you know he's he's in the mix. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's on some lists out there. Um, but I think from kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit, I think they're looking for more of an offensive. Uh, head coach there because you know they they're, they're, they're they've been defensive for so long. Mm-hmm. I think they're ready to, to 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 put some some more people in the stands and and be a little bit more entertaining brand of football out there. So I would be surprised if they went the defensive route. Although even though Tony would be an excellent candidate, I, I would think. So uh, I mean, first of all, thank God. Uh, but secondly, because <laughs> um, I think the only people that like Tony White as much as Nebraskans do uh, are you and, and your friends over there at at Matrix Analytical, because you guys know exactly how good he is. Um, yeah. But let's say you know, let's say San Diego State does um, decide to take Tony White, and knock on wood, we we pray to God that doesn't happen. But. Um, who would be some defensive coordinators that you're looking at that maybe should be on Nebraska's radar? I know, like, Elijah Robinson's been a D-line coach at A&M, and now he's the interim coach. He's got ties to rule. Um, maybe a guy like that. But are there kind of, like, some up-and-comer, up-and-coming defensive coordinators that you'd be looking at uh, at a place like Nebraska if Tony White were to leave? Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think I think you, you, you'd want to try to stay within his three three five system that he's implemented here. I think sure. that has proven to be a, a good a good system for, for for the type of athlete and the type of, of, of player that Nebraska is able to have on the roster. Um, so I think you would want to look within within that scheme. Um, but Coach Rule has a a tremendous track record in his career of identifying and, and hiring good defensive staff. So. Um, I, I would be comfortable with 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 the head man making the, the decision at Nebraska that if, if it came to that. For sure, uh, sticking with defensive coordinators for a minute here, um, you know USC obviously in the market as well. I imagine they're probably going to try and go and get a big name hire, and maybe that's a head coach where you're not as comfortable with the uh, track record of defensive coordinators. What direction do you think USC should go? Uh, in that defensive coordinator search, well, I mean, there, there's a guy who who is looking for a job just recently that I think would would be a great fit out there, and Zach Arnett. Mm, sure, was, yeah, he, yeah, he's a he's a three three five guy. He's 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 from you know Southern California, and you know he is able. He he coached with Leach, so he's able to 
to, to, to pair well with with uh, with with the pace the pace of play that Lincoln Riley's want want to want to run right because mm-hmm. that's something that people that people don't talk a lot about is is, is uh, pace pairing of the of, of the offensive offensive and defensive coordinator right you you want to be able you want to be able to play complementary football and uh, Lincoln Riley's offenses they like to push the pace so fast that it puts so much pressure on the defensive coordinator defensive coordinator to, to have to have to defend more plays a game than maybe he's comfortable with. Um, so you're going to have to have a, a defensive coordinator who understands how to not only schematically deal with that, but also knows the substitution patterns and how to recruit for defenses that are going to be on, on, on the field for 75, 80 plays a game. Right. Mm-hmm. Zach Arnett is that guy. He 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 knows he knows how to do that because he did that, did that with Leach for, for for years in Mississippi State. So I think Arnett would would, would be a, a perfect fit for USC out there. Um, I know people have floated the name Jim Leonard out there for for USC, but I think that might be a little awkward pairing. Sure, considering uh, what he was doing at Wisconsin. Exactly. He he's, his defenses are used to, to defending, you know, between sixty and sixty five plays per game. You know that's going to get him maybe midway through the third quarter with, with so, so let's he, he he might be careful get into, into that situation out there although he is a very good coordinator uh we're talking with adam mcclintock from matrix analytical the college football professor um so a couple i'm, I'm gonna put you on the spot here with a couple hypothetical questions and and feel free to answer at to whatever degree you're comfortable um in the big 10 obviously Jim Harbaugh is having some issues. I'm not sure that they would move on from him, but you wonder if maybe with his past flirtations to the NFL, he would want to just be done with the whole college football thing at this point. Is there, I mean, do you kind of keep lists of names of guys for high-profile jobs like that, that, you know, like guys that might be a good fit at Michigan? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're always ready for, you know, when when an athletic director or, or, or somebody from at that level calls or gets gets a hold of us at Major Santa Lucia, we we want to be able to um, we want to be able to to, to move quickly. Mm-hmm. And a lot and a lot of, a lot of the times the way it works is they already have a list for us to to tier for them and and, and, to, and to evaluate for them, and then they'll ask us to throw in one or two names along with it. Um, so typically they they already have guys in mind. That they that they just want us to evaluate for them, and, and they, they they like our our kind of our input on maybe one or two guys. So um, that's kind of how this usually goes. We don't usually make the entire list for them. That's sure. Typically, how it goes. But yeah, it, it is good to have a couple names ready to go just in case they, they they do ask for your input. With a place like Michigan, I guess how challenging is it to weigh kind of who they view themselves as and the things that they kind of espouses their values and the whole Michigan man thing. Like how much does that matter when you're kind of figuring out uh, whether you're looking for candidates for them or if you're just kind of sitting here like I am being like, who makes sense at a place like Michigan? How much do you consider that whole other part of it with a place like Michigan? Man, numbers don't care if you're a Michigan man or not. <laughs> but Michigan does. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so, I mean – we try to get a sense of, of the type of coach that an athletic director is looking for to fit their program. I mean, in the end, they're the ones that are going to be making the decision. They're the ones that have to be comfortable with the choice being made. 
So we, we try to have deep, some deep conversations with the athletic director, kind of get a feel for, for what he's looking for for his program, and then move forward with that. Um, in those conversations, that's when you kind of are able to, to kind of set some filters and be able to, to really narrow down the best, the best candidates for that situation. And then, like I said, we always throw in a name or two that we think just by the numbers would, would, would be great in that, in that area. And sometimes they, 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 they are taken and sometimes they're not. So <laughs> in Michigan's <laughs> case, they probably wouldn't like what we had to say. <laughs> um, another big 10 team that I, I think might be looking for a head coach this year is Iowa Would the profile for an Iowa coach be similar to that of a Mississippi state where you have to consider a guy that's maybe maximizing talent. It, very, very much so. You, you know, Iowa is, is has always been known as a, de- de- a developmental program. Mm-hmm. So you have you have to find a coach that is willing to work within those those constraints. Um, you got to you have to go find a guy who who knows how to take that talent and develop it in, into a system. Take those two and three stars and make them you know end up being first or second round draft picks, like Iowa has done for years under Kirk Ferentz. Mm-hmm. So there, those guys are out there. They you know Iowa. It, the, Iowa will not be short of candidates if, if that if that comes to pass this offseason. Adam, is there any is there any college coaching situations that I've missed that were that you're keeping an eye on yet, or are you still kind of in? I know I know you said you took your first call in September, but uh, are, are you kind of in wait and see mode as the dominoes start to fall? We are kind of in wait and see mode. You know, there, we, we're we're involved in a couple ones that are public right now, and a couple ones that are not made public. So <laughs> we got our hands in a little bit of everything right now. So um, it's like I said, it, it, it's going to be a, a, a an off season that's going to rival that of 2017, I think. So we'll we'll see. Everybody just hang on and and uh, we'll see where where everything falls. <laughs> Ooh, I like that little teaser about 2017. That's a that's a good one there, uh, Adam. I appreciate you letting me kind of pepper you with all these uh, hypotheticals and and all these situations. Um, I'm sure as we get into uh, the coaching carousel season a little bit deeper, we'll uh, want to talk to you again. So definitely appreciate your time. Awesome, no problem, man. That's Adam McClintock, the college football professor. He is from Matrix Analytical, uh, and if you don't know, they do. Uh, you kind of heard him talk about they do get contacted by schools. They're a, a data-first kind of, I don't want to call them a search firm, but they're kind of in that same neighborhood of, of being a consultant to uh, these these high-level programs. So that's why sometimes he has to. I have to ask him questions more in general because he is kind of have his fingers in these situations. So we definitely appreciate his time uh, and really good stuff there. As always, coming up next, we're halfway through the show, and we will continue with Heard at Sports Radio on AM 590 ESPN Omaha and ESPN Tri-Cities. You're listening to Heard at Sports Radio. You know, I think I think the thing that you always try to get guys to do, and again, I, I, I show them lots of different things, you know, I talk a lot about basketball, and I talk about a lot about like uh, last week we showed them Kobe talking about as a rookie, you know, shooting five air balls in the in the uh, finals game seven, and then coming back the next you know next year and making those shots. And I think the biggest thing is you know when you're a basketball player, when you're Michael Jordan, when you're LeBron James, when you're I'm not like uh, that's about the end, end of my extent of who's a great basketball player nowadays, but 
you don't go to take the last shot and think about how you're going to shoot. Like you just shoot the way you shot a, a thousand times. And to me, that's trusting your training. And that's really our process. Our process is, is practicing so much and working so much that we can trust our training. And so um, as you get late in the Big Ten year and you go through the Big Ten for the first time and, you know, uh, you start to experience these teams and things that they're doing, um, you know, um, trusting the training that we're going to have, whether it's a read, whether it's a decision. So you look at two of the interceptions, two of them are backing up and just kind of throwing it. Another one's just, you know, throwing it, you know, to a spot, hoping that it's going to be completed. And uh, those, those things just can't happen. We're halfway through the show here on Hurt At Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers is not with us yet today. We're still hoping he'll join us at some point, but he's dealing with a uh, little traffic accident situation. He is okay. We have to, I have talked to him, um, but just not available yet as he deals with that. Uh, but part of the reason we know he's okay is because he was wearing his seatbelt. Using your seatbelt saves lives and prevents injuries only if it is properly worn. Make it click. That's a message from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. And we do we are thankful that our guy Andrew Rogers is okay uh, this morning, even if he's not with us here uh, on the show. Um, you know what the first thing I thought of when I heard that clip that, that we just played? I was like, when is the meme going to come out with, like, uh, Heinrich uh, running with, like, uh, Coach Rule on his back, like Luke Skywalker and Yoda? <laughs> <laughs> Trust in your training. <laughs> I, I think you need to work on that after the show, Shane. you got to get those memes together. Um, no, I, I am glad that you played that quarterback clip, though, because uh, there is a – there, I do think there's going to be a very active uh, portion of the coaching staff in the transfer portal looking for potential quarterbacks, whether that is um, guys that are no-brainer starters or just a couple guys that they want to come in to compete for the job because I don't anticipate Jeff Sims will be back next year, um, whether it's because he's out of eligibility or if he gets a waiver and graduates and transfers somewhere else. Um, either way, I, I think, I think Jeff Sims is, is likely, uh, out of the equation there, but I, I don't, I am, I don't know if Chubba Purdy's going to be back. You know, he's already transferred once as well. So he'd, he'd have to graduate and I don't really know what to make of the Heinrich Harburg situation. He's a Nebraska kid. So you wonder, uh, whether he stays it out, even if he's not, uh, the presumed starter, but Either way, I do think Nebraska will be active in the transfer portal, especially uh, with the with the quarterback position. And there's some news that just came out. It's not really breaking news. It's just kind of a report that came out about 10 minutes ago from On3, and that is that Quinn Ewers from Texas is expected to return next year to play quarterback for Texas. Why this is important is because you've got Malik Murphy, who's been starting in Ewers' absence, and you've got Arch Manning, who was the number one recruit in 2023, who are on that roster, who I imagine both want to start next year. I would be surprised if at least one of them is not in the transfer portal with the news that Quinn Ewers is returning to Texas next year. One, maybe both of those guys end up in the transfer portal. So that is a 
somewhere, something to keep an eye on. Obviously, there's going to be a long line of teams that are looking for a quarterback. There always is. Um, but if you look at you know, Nebraska's defense this year, especially if they're able to win one of these last two and make a bowl game, that's an easy pitch to a potential transfer quarterback to say, hey, the defense is there for you. Look how much the offensive line has improved. You know, Coach Rule in his press conference yesterday echoed what I thought, kind of validated what I thought, that this had been the best game the offensive line had played all year. And you say, hey, we've got some young wide receivers that showed something here. Uh, we've got an offensive line that's still pretty young and getting better. We've got a defense where a lot of guys are returning, and especially on that defensive line, a lot of young guys. I think you can make a pretty good pitch that a, a quarterback can step in here and be successful right away um, at Nebraska. So that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, some other places to look with the transfer quarterback situation because the, the portal doesn't open till December 4th. So we're about three weeks out from that still. But you're starting to hear some names that could potentially be uh, entering that portal. Uh, another place to look is at Georgia, where Carson Beck won the job after Stetson Bennett, and they've got a couple super highly regarded recruits that are backing up now, and looks like they'll have to back up for another year if they stick around in Brock Vandegriff and Gunnar Stockton. Um, you imagine at least one of those will probably move on as well. Um, you've got Ohio State, I know with um, with their quarterback situation, um, you know there was any of these big time any of these big time programs that have that had a quarterback competition coming into the year. Um, I think those are places that are ripe for transfers because you've got these highly touted guys that want to play and Ohio State's another good example of that obviously Kyle McCord won that job this year it appears he will be the quarterback moving forward um, with at least another year of eligibility left as he's not a super high um, caliber NFL prospect you imagine he'll be returning uh, and and completing all of his eligibility the Interesting names there are uh, Devin Brown, who was a very highly sought-after um, recruit and is a redshirt freshman, I believe. And then you've got Lincoln Kineholes, who was a pure South Dakota na uh, native who is on that roster as well. And that's an interesting name to look at and say, hey, maybe he is somebody that uh, we end up seeing here at Nebraska. And so there's, there's some interesting names out there that are potentially going to end up in the transfer portal. The other place that I kind of like to look, and I don't have any names for you here um, because they're not in the portal yet, but keep an eye out for guys instead of guys that are kind of bounce backs from, from power five schools where they didn't win the job and not saying that Nebraska shouldn't look into those guys as well but look at guys that were highly successful at lower levels also sometimes I think we look too much at physical attributes and not enough at production 
look at look for some of these guys that have been highly productive, whether it's at a group of five school or the FCS level. We've seen a decent amount of those guys translate into success for the uh, four power five schools when they come in and take over the job. Um, the most recent one, Cam Ward from Incarnate Word, went to Washington State. He's been good there. Um, you know, you had a Oregon transfer whose name's escaping me off the top of my head, but he was at Eastern Washington, ended up at Oregon, had a successful year, uh, Vernon something. Uh, but he, you know, there's a, there's a decent track record of guys moving up levels, having been highly successful, and turning that into success at a higher level as well. You see it all the time in college basketball. I'm curious if we're going to start seeing that trend in college football as well. Again, not to say that you shouldn't take a chance on some of these guys that got caught behind a uh, stacked quarterback room. I mean, Jalen Hurts did that. Justin Fields did that. Joe Burrow did that. There's obviously a long track record of those guys as well. Uh, I just don't want Nebraska to limit their scope to just those guys. I honestly think unless they get a a total no-brainer starter quarter, starting quarterback out of this group, um, I think it is a situation where you probably need to bring in at least two guys, uh, depending on how many leave the quarterback room in the offseason. I anticipate it'll be at least one in Jeff Sims because I, I don't imagine he'll stick around if he's not expected to be the starter. All right. Other schools have done it. Ohio State's done it. Oh, every, everybody's Alabama's done it. done it. Everybody's done it. Everybody's done it. Everybody's Why can't done Nebraska it? do it? We don't know. We've but been asking that for like 20 years. What we do know is coming up in the next segment, our guy Andrew Rogers has rolled up into the Herd at Sports Bar and Grill. We'll ask him how his morning's going. Doesn't seem like great, but we'll get to that and more coming up next year on Herd at Sports Radio. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. I hope over the years, what you guys will see from me is that, like, I don't ever want to just take like a short, quick, easy answer. Like, I was, you know, like, there's always all these different layers to everything, and I try to unpack them for myself and for everybody, so that, you know, like, hey, if, if all of a sudden that ball is two inches to the right because we stepped and thrown, it's a, it's a completion. If the ball's red down the middle of the field, it's a touch. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, it just takes reps because you practice against one thing, you get to the game, they have coaches too, they do different things, and you want players who are seasoned who can, who can in a running offense, throw the ball versus all the looks they get, and it just takes time. And, but that was kind of the thought process. Wrapping up hour number two here on Herd Out Sports Radio, I'm Robin Lula, and that's Andrew Rogers. He's back. I thought the show started at 8.30. Well, you know, you're still a little late. Yeah, it's right. You're doing okay, though? I got a little bit of soreness in the back, okay. but uh, that's okay. Um, I'm sure everybody's wondering, what happened, right? Why was Ravi on for an hour and a half? Which Ravi killed it. I was listening on and off, and I was getting mad in my car because things that Ravi was talking oh, so you about, had takes. I, I wanted to talk about. <laughs> and I'm like sitting here, and I'm like, but no, I, I almost responded one time as if I was in the room. Because you had said something, and I was going to be like, well, Ravi, actually, like, you could have – and I'm like, Andrew, you're not there. You're, you're not, not there. You're not on the radio right now. <laughs> no. So um, I left my place about I, – I normally leave about 6.30. Yeah. And 
you know, it's, my path to work is really easy. You know, I bounce on, I bounce on 108th. I go past Harrison, down to Giles, up Giles to the restaurant. Like it's simple. It's it's about a five a five minute drive. And so I, I left, and I at first I was going to make coffee because mm-hmm. I, I just bought coffee creamer at the store yesterday, and I'm like, okay, now I don't have to go to QT anymore <laughs> or, or the beanery or anywhere on my way yeah. to like, th- that's convenient just to get, my, uh, to get my coffee fix. I can just make it at home for cheap, yeah. right? But then I was like, uh, I'm not really like – in the mood to make coffee this morning because like it's a process like you know yeah. i didn't do it the night before yeah like so i'd have to get the water and then the be- the beans um the beans the coffee grounds <laughs> i'm not like crushing i was saying you're doing you're like french uh, pressing right. over here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but i just i kind of ran out of time because i was you know dealing with my dog so i'm like i'll just i'll just stop on the way so i left and you know what like sometimes i think about things like um, like it's a blessing in disguise yeah. that I didn't have a cup of coffee in my car right. or, or like a, a thermos of coffee because I'm sitting at the stoplight at 108th and Harrison. Mm-hmm. Just fully stopped, just chilling. And all of a sudden, Shane, can you play our, uh, our Dingman's tire screech <laughs> for me? That's what I hear. Uh-oh. And before I know it, yeah, just like that. <laughs> hammered from behind. Yeah. And when I mean hammered, I mean crushed. That that man must have been going 45, 50 miles an hour. Yeah, you showed me the picture. His his car's his trashed. car his car completely yeah. totaled. Yeah. Um yours luckily in pretty good shape. Yeah, you know, my car's like Bud Crawford. <laughs> like it incredible doesn't matter chin. what type of beating. Incredible. Like, chin. You could come with like a forty five mile an hour punch and Bud's still <laughs> on his feet. Uh, my car surprisingly only has a little bit of uh bumper damage yeah and my trunk but your tailgate's yeah it's like a little bit shoved in yeah and um i hope we haven't done this read yet but if you ever get into a car accident you can go over to dingman's collision center dingman's your (laughs) one-stop shop for all your car needs which i will uh be telling his insurance provider that's where i'm going and and taking my car to get it fixed gonna be be talking to darcy here uh, in a minute yeah but they're the best (laughs) of the best and what are they best of omaha for 18 years 18 straight years I'm not taking it anywhere else. That's right. Uh, my car is will end up at Dingman sometime this week, Absolutely. whether it's I have to pay the deductible or <laughs> Progressive, which is the guy's insurance provider, pays it. Now, the reason I say I may have to pay the deductible. Which, this is this is rough. So I'm, I'm sitting in my car, and, and the tow truck takes uh, the other guy's car away, and cop comes knocking on my window. And I said, are we all good? He's like, I am. You aren't. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> like, that's not what you want to hear. That is not what you want to hear. And I'm like, what are you like arresting me? Like, <laughs> like, what did I do? I'm just sitting here. He's like, uh, he doesn't have insurance. And I'm like, what? So he tells me that it's expired, and it actually only expired like a few, a few days, days ago. ago. Yeah. So um, he just doesn't he just doesn't have valid insurance, and so he got ticketed for that. But that could cause me to have to pay for my own damage. Yeah. Well, pay the deductible it. Yeah, for the your, deductible, so that yeah. my insurance will then cover yeah. the rest of it. Um, now I, I called my insurance agent before anybody else like jumps in here. <laughs> I'll finish the story. I uh, I called my insurance agent, and he's like, "Hey, you know, sometimes 
like even though it's expired on the card, mm-hmm. they still have insurance. Yeah, it's a grace. Because yeah. there's a grace period there. At least with State Farm, yeah. they offer me a 30-day grace yeah. period. Well, so if I didn't pay, if I if I paid six months worth, yeah, and then in 15 days after that expired, I wasn't paid up. Mm-hmm. I would still be insured for that month, for thirty days, yeah. because it would give me that window to yeah. then pay the other yeah. six months or month to month or things like that. And um, that's and what hopefully I did. maybe the card was expired mm-hmm. and he got new cards, just didn't put them in his car. And and that's We're what hoping. I'm hoping to crossing our fingers. Yep. There. And so because um, I've done that, I've forgotten. I haven't gotten in an accident yeah. when that's well, happened. Well, the good but news I've is nowadays that. you have it on your phone. Yeah. So my insurance card is on my phone. I have a literal. Yeah. But mind you, yeah, I've got the yeah. – uh, But it's, it's, on, on, the it's on my app. Yeah. So uh, long story short, um, I got that figured out. I got a claim with Progressive. There's a case number with the cops. Uh, my car is still drivable, which is – Yeah. Thank goodness because like – It know, really doesn't look like it's in bad shape at all. Like and, it's obviously got some damage. And frankly, but. what really stinks about like certain accidents – are like the rental car, or, or is it the rental car process? Oh, I know, I do. I went through this right. a couple months ago. Right, it's just about like going to get one. You have to have somebody take you there. Yeah. Because it's not like they're in walking distance. At least for me, they're yeah. not in walking distance. Yeah. You go and get a rental car, then you have to like deal with taking like your receipt, sending that through your insurance to get a reimbursement mm-hmm. and things. It's just kind of like a it's whole, whole thing. It's a it's, it's a whole, whole mess. Or not not just your insurance, their insurance because yeah. they're going to be paying yeah. for, yeah. you know, all that stuff. So it's just I uh, I'm very grateful to be uh like safe yeah. for one, physically healthy, okay, yeah. physically okay. Yeah. Um and two that uh he is also yeah. physically Absolutely. okay. Because his car was smashed. Yeah, his, his, I mean, you you take you take a, a small car like Shane used to have, and you about um, take the front end of it and bring it to the windshield. That's about as far as his yeah. car. Uh, well, it's always kind of rough in those situations where, you know, because you've got an SUV, mm-hmm. um, and anytime you've got a smaller car, a lot of times it like goes under. So it's way worse for the smaller car than it is the SUV. So thankfully, everybody's okay in that situation. Right. Uh, but, you know, we're good. We're good. God was watching out for me gotta, at 6.30 in the morning. Got to make sure you get to the doctor, make sure that back's yeah, all right. Yeah, that, that's, that's going to be uh, the big one. But I also have to make sure that um, that will be covered, too. Yeah. I right. mean, not to say that if I'm, like, extremely hurt, I'm not going to end up at the doctor. But you, You're in a good uh, mood or what? If I'm just super, super sore like I am right now, yeah. which I'm sure that it was – I tensed up. My adrenaline oh, was yeah. running. I didn't feel it for the first 35 minutes. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I'm here. I'm in one piece, and I'm ready to talk about sports because I'm. I, I was uh, like I said, I was on the <laughs> dial, and I was getting mad because we were talking about everything Coach Rule said. I'm like, there was so much juice in there. There was. This had to be the day that I wasn't on time. <laughs> that you didn't. That you weren't able to make it in. Uh, well, listen, we've got a few minutes here before we talk to Schaefer, and listen, I'm sure we can bring up a ton of this with Schaefer as well, but. Um, I don't know. Was, there could be bacon involved. Was there anything that either I got to earlier that you were listening to the audio that was like you're really chomping at the bit to get to? Yeah, I, I mean, it was a lot of it is just kind of. Um, I, I may reiterate a lot of things that you said, mm-hmm. um, and then I was in conversation with um, with TK yesterday um, about like certain nuggets of the press conference that. Um, I felt and he felt were interesting. Now, uh, I ended up watching it twice. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else did. I ended up watching the presser <laughs> twice just to make sure I didn't miss anything. Because yeah. there was, and, I mean, it was, there was a lot. And the second time around, did you catch the nugget of him saying 
we don't throw these interceptions in practice like we do in games? Yeah, I did. That was interesting to me because we had talked about that yesterday, I'd about like, like what goes wrong yeah. to where in a game – it's it's like they aren't prepared. Yeah. But in practice, we hear it looks okay. no, no, they're good to go. X, Y, and Z works fine. And the first thing I thought of when I heard that quote was, "Well, this defense doesn't have any turnovers on the year anyway, so no wonder they're not picking off balls hey, in practice." They had three takeaways against. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm being I'm being too harsh. They only have eight interceptions on the year right, though, and yeah. they're in the lower end of the league with that number. And with total turnover margin, mm-hmm. they're actually second to last, yeah. if not the last team, um, if I'm trying to remember the stat right. But I felt that nugget was interesting because it's easy to say that. It's easy to be like, no, our guys are ready. Like in practice, they're facing a, a really good defense, yeah. one of the best defenses in college football. And, you know, it's, it's not like they're, they're not going 120% like they're going in games, yeah. but they're at least going 100. Now when it comes to tackling, maybe it's a little less. Um, when it comes because you're doing drill work and things mm-hmm. like that, you hear a whistle, you stop, like, you know, all that all that practice jargon. Mm-hmm. Um, but as for translation to game, uh, I don't think this, this quarterback room is in any, um, no. any world to believe that practice is translating to game right now if, if practice is going well. And I generally believe what Matt Rule tells us. I also know that he uses these press conferences to talk to his players. And I just... I wonder if he maybe softened or sugarcoated how it looks in practice a little bit. Because I just I have a really hard time believing that they're just precision passing, dicing guys up in practice against a good defense, and then they get to the games and just start wetting the bed. Like I have a hard time believing that because usually there's at least indications mm-hmm. of what you see in games happen in practice. Well, and the last point I'll bring up here that you brought up earlier, and we'll get into more of that too, but you had mentioned experience from – like bad experience isn't necessarily helpful. Necessarily helpful experience, yeah. right? You need experience. Don't you, get me wrong. You have to, to be grow confident yeah. and to grow. But bad experience will just bring somebody and put them in the dumps. Yeah, it can for sure. It, and it depends on the mindset that those guys have. Uh, coming up next, we've got a guy whose mindset we love, Mike Schaefer from Oscar Twenty Four Seven. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. I would just say we don't we don't throw these interceptions like this in practice the way we do in, in games, you know. And, um, again, you know, sometimes I think when you run the ball a lot, when you finally have a chance to throw, you know, you're, you know, maybe a little, you know, you're not kind of maybe as in rhythm. And so, um, you know, we certainly came out wanting to throw the ball a little bit more last game because we knew how they would play. And, unfortunately, you throw the, you throw the early, inter- you know, we, we, we hit, hit him with a man beater um, and we overthrow um, Emmett. That's going to be a big play. The one they threw the penalty on Billy, then pulled it off, and then we have Fedoni on the override. If you, if you see that play, Billy's running down the middle of the field wide open. So there's just a lot of things, a lot of different pictures for the guys. It's not, it's not, it's not a super complex offense. It's just you know a lot of different pictures that guys aren't maybe seeing. But yeah, we certainly don't have those interceptions in practice the way we do in the games. I think sometimes in the games it's just a little bit of like I said, like there's a little bit of pressure in our face. We're not sure where to go, and we kind of back up and throw it. And I don't, I just don't want ever want a quarterback to not throw the ball intentionally. You know, I'd rather our quarterbacks s- reverse out and go scramble and make a play. We got dynamic quarterbacks who can run. And if you're playing man coverage against us, man, our quarterback should be running for 200 yards against them. So, um, but again, th- those things aren't happening. You always go back, you look at practice. What can we do better? Um, and that's, we'll continue to do that this week. 
kicking off hour number three here on Herd Out Sports Radio. We're on AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and for this third hour, KFOR in Lincoln. But we're always brought to you by our friends over at Pratt Dental, located in North Platte, Nebraska. Dr. Pratt was the first dentist in Nebraska to be certified in the BioClear method. And you might be asking yourself, Ravi, what is the BioClear method? What is the BioClear method? Well, the BioClear method is a procedure that can, a method that can correct many aesthetic dilemmas in a permanent and less invasive manner than traditional treatments such as crowns. They uh, take fewer appointments, it's less invasive and less time and less waiting, and you can do multiple restorations in the same day. Give Pratt Dental a call, 308-221-2800 to find out more. That's Pratt Dental in North Platte, Nebraska. Joining us now, our good friend from Husker 24-7, Mike Schaefer. Schaefer, what's going on, buddy? How are we doing, guys? Oh, we're just, uh, well, I'm doing good. Uh, Andrew's having a bit of a rough morning. Yeah, but it's been a long morning for me, Shafe. Uh, we had a little... Uh, What's going on, Andrew? Tell us. We, we're we, here to help. I know. You're, you're like my therapist. I feel like I'm laying on the couch right now. Um, no, I, I got into a little car accident this morning. I got hit from behind. Yeah, that's uh, never a fun experience. Was it... Uh, was it a delivery driver? It was a not. A service vehicle, a police officer? <laughs> it was Any not. Nope. No, <laughs> no, it was uh, it was a, a your your regular uh, average Joe that hit me mm. from behind. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to sorry to to hear that. Hopefully the damage isn't. You know, surprisingly I was telling everybody the damage on my car for as fast as I got hit at is not bad. Like real it, my car's drivable. I um, you know, it's like a it's like a cage fighter, and then his car going 45, 50 miles an hour, uh, totally uh, and completely totaled. So uh, there, there we go. Yeah, I hate, hate to hear that, hate to see that, but uh, we're here, we're alive, we're healthy, he's healthy, which is great too, and I'm ready to uh, talk, uh, talk about Nebraska football because Ravi got to do it for the first hour and a half, and I was really mad because yesterday was like the day to come in and be like, there's a lot of juice here. We can break some of this down. And uh, – Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say not to make light of your uh, of your your accident there, but you you had a great segue opportunity. And speaking of car crashes, the Big Ten West. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I used that with one of our great sponsors on the show already, so I didn't want to right. overuse well, that's good. the the good that's good. segues. Uh, but Shay, you're not wrong. The Big Ten West. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I typically call it a dumpster fire more than a car crash, but. Um, you know, because I, I think you have to incorporate the smell of the Big Ten West into <laughs> sure. the analogy. Um, but no, so I, I we're sitting here. We got five, five and five teams in the Big Ten West. Uh, Nebraska, one of those still uh, has an opportunity to win the Big Ten West. I don't even know if I want that to happen, uh, as I mentioned earlier, but or in, in previous shows. Um, but as you kind of come off of the disappointing last two games from Nebraska I guess where are you at in terms of your belief in their ability to get bowl eligible in one of these last two games yeah I mean I obviously you'd prefer that they just get it done so you don't have to white knuckle this you know finish but that's just not how things go with Nebraska it really hasn't changed a ton beyond just the fact there's two less opportunities I think the hard part is that the same team that has lost these two games here at the beginning of November, it was pretty much the same team that won the three games in October, 
The only real difference is there's just been a slight deviation with the defense against Michigan State, and Nebraska's not hitting on a big pass play down the field in either of Michigan State or Maryland. I mean, they just haven't. That was part of the deal, right? Like, their offense has to contribute a couple big plays a game, and that's where they're going to get some of this stuff from. It's hard for them to just drive down the field. It's hard for them not to turn the ball over. Uh, So, you know, they need to hit on a couple of those big plays. And they didn't have a 40-yard pass play in either of the Michigan State or or Maryland game, but I think they did in the three games previous. Actually, it might be four four or five games previous. Like, the, the big pass has been part of the offense. And I know that everybody wants Nebraska to just run the ball 100% of the time. Um, but in some of these defenses they're facing, they have to be able to take some of these shots and need to be able to hit on one or two of them. And that is going to make things – it's going to be true against Wisconsin and Iowa. And I don't, I don't know that they're in a better position to do it. But to me, that feels like the biggest contrast in what we've seen um, because they were turning the ball over against Northwestern and Purdue. Um, they had rough moments at times defensively in, in some of those games. But the big thing is they just have not hit on the one or two pass plays that one, you know, either sets up a score or scores itself. I mean, getting points is really hard for this team right now. Shafe, uh, I, I just got uh, or just brought up this point on in the last segment of one of the more interesting nuggets of rules presser was when he said, we don't throw these interceptions in practice like we do in games. And then there was another point that he had later on that was like, trust your training. Uh, You don't want to live in fear. Um, When speaking about the quarterback position here, my question is, is the training, does it, does it work? Um, Is it right? Because nothing looks right about the quarterback position right now. And it also looks like they're playing in fear. Yeah, I mean, it, when it looks bad, it's going to look really bad. I, I just think that's just sort of how it is. It's hard for me to say um, what the training is and and why it isn't going well for them. I mean, it's also three games ago, you would have said probably, obviously there's been some development for Heinrich Harburg. So it doesn't work, you know, it doesn't, it, it's not an all or nothing uh, it's incremental. I think the hardest part for everyone, myself included, is even if you thought Jeff Sims was going to be uneven, you never would have expected it to be this bad. And there's a couple things on Saturday again where it's like, I don't think it's training for him to just fall off his back foot and lob a ball into the end zone. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's training for him to just completely lose a football when a Maryland player gets one finger on it, uh, as what happened at the beginning of the fourth quarter. So, I, you know, you're not at, in practice, you're certainly not anticipating Jeff Sims is just going to turn the ball over on back to back plays in the fourth quarter where they're really almost unforced. Like that's that's part of the hard part with it. A lot of their mistakes feel unforced more often than not. Yeah, Shafe, I'm I'm wondering, you know, with the trust, the training and all that kind of stuff, do you think it would be beneficial if Nebraska looked into having an exclusive quarterback coach next year rather than pairing that position with Marcus Satterfield? Because as we kind of heard from Coach Rule, it it doesn't sound like anyone on the coaching staff is going anywhere. Um, So I don't think that's something really worth spending a ton of time on. But I do wonder how much it would be helpful to have somebody whose dedicated job it is to help teach these quarterbacks, especially when they are in such a crucial developmental stage. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that it's the worst thing in the world. And the, the hard part is, 
I don't know what sort of uh, help Marcus Satterfield can or can't provide. Like, I'm not, I'm not there in those meetings. I'm not there watching them go through drills. I don't, I don't really know the level of coach that he is for quarterback play. I know they have analysts. I know they have other guys to help out. Uh, so it's not like there's a lack of people talking to him. But I don't know what his, his back unit, background is, and it is telling that they hired him initially to coach a different position than quarterback. Um, you know, that wasn't the plan when Matt Rule got here. So with the tight end job being open, it does allow for the idea of Marcus Satterfield switching over to tight ends in addition to his his offensive coordinator role. And then you do have an opening on your staff already, unless they're just going to go ahead and give that job uh, to, to Josh Martin, the interim coach. So, it, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not sure that that's what they're going to do, but – if you're going to make a move, you do have an opening and you can naturally move Satterfield over to working with the tight ends. And he's done that at other stops. So it's not like a, that's not a, a particularly difficult move, I think, for Satterfield. Shay, for almost two full games this season, this team was able to make it without being penalized. Think there will ever come a day they won't have a turnover? Uh, well, sure. I mean, there, there's, a, <laughs> there's a chance, you know, like – they're just like everyone else. They're they're gonna line it up and hope that the yellow flags don't fly, uh, and they're gonna hope that the the ball stays with their team and not the other team. And one of these days it will, you know. And then it's gonna be a glorious party on seventy second and Dodge. People hanging from the light posts, and you know it'll be it'll be incredible in Omaha. The scene is is gonna be indescribable. But right there, <laughs> it is a you know it is a real challenge for them because they just. Man, like I said, with the, the Jeff Simpsons, all of, and here's the other thing. Every one of those interceptions, they were thrown roughly into double coverage. I mean, mm-hmm. not so much the Chubba Purdy one. I don't really know where that was thrown in general. Um, but, you know, they weren't open passes. They weren't, they were just forced bad decisions. And I don't know that that's just going to disappear anytime soon. And so you're going to have to figure out as you go through this week, which quarterback's bad decisions you can live with while also trying to maximize your offense because you're going to have to score points. Like, you're not going to win this game 9-6 to six on Saturday. Or at least I don't think you're going to win the game 9-6 to six on Saturday. Um, so it's going to be a, you know, that that is a really difficult decision this week. I do not, I do not envy Matt Rule for having to choose between three options that don't exactly excite you. Like, this is, uh, it's tough, definitely tough. All right, Shafe, so we're going to put you in that chair since it sounds like a question you don't really want to answer. We're going to make you. Um, sure. If you're, if, if you're the guy making the decision, you know you've got Heinrich Harburg who, with a high ankle sprain and his skill set, I'm not sure that's a guy you want to put out there. You've got a healthy Jeff Sims, which I just don't think you want to put out there based on what he's done this year. And then you've got a somewhere in the middle Chubba Purdy who doesn't have a ton of experience, but – is relatively healthy, a little banged up. I, I mean, you're parsing through the information. Obviously, we're not seeing them at practice. Where do you go on Saturday? Well, what I think is going to happen is multiple quarterbacks are going to end up playing on Saturday. Um, but I would, and I am as surprised as anyone that I am saying this, uh, I would probably end up going with Jeff Sims here. I, I just would probably prefer his experience. I don't. One, all full disclosure, I was already fairly skeptical of Chubba Purdy 
you know, the news of his groin injury still being an issue bothers me. I watched him throw his 47 passes in 2022. Those bothered me. Uh, <laughs> the interception on Saturday bothered me. The fact that you hear after the game, he pulled the play on first down bothered me. Like I just, and, and I get if you go of him because he's relatively the one that has failed the least, uh, which is where the groundswell of support comes from, which is never a place you really want to be, by mm-hmm. the way. Like you're the guy because you failed the least of the other people. <laughs> um, but I I would go Jeff Sims, and I, I understand that that is inviting two turnovers a game. Uh, but I thought the offense looked at times smoother than it had in a while uh, when Sims was in there. You know, the unfortunate thing is he could make some tight, good passes like he did to Billy Kemp earlier in that game. He hit uh, Jalen Lloyd down the field. Like, I I would rather die uh, going in with Jeff Sims and thinking there's a chance for some big play potential than experiencing Chubba Purdy again. I don't remember how many drives he had in 2022. You had another one this year. I think he's led one touchdown in somewhere around – 15 drives like that's just not a you know that's not a recipe for success uh, and it's not really something I want to see either Shay from uh, a play calling point of view um, obviously we hear all the time that the plays work there's guys that are open it's just the execution level just isn't there Uh, how important do you think it is for this coaching staff to kind of eat some of that and sort of dumb down the play calls maybe or or make them like a little more basic for these quarterbacks so that you know instead of doing something so extravagant it may not it may not be like the most unique thing out there but at least it's something that works you know it's really hard though because it at some point like I don't know how much more simplified it can be at some point kind of like Matt Rule said these guys have to be able to see it and make plays like there were plays to be made for Heinrich Harburg in the Michigan State game, and he did not see them. I don't think it was a product of the offense is too complicated. I think it's a product of they don't process information fast enough. And I don't know how you could necessarily speed that up um, because I don't think Nebraska is running extremely difficult concepts. You know, like I, I don't look at what they're doing on offense as – very very difficult there is some window dressing in there there's some motion to try to figure out what's going on defensively they're trying to get numbers to one side or the other you know and that the zone read you always have to be able to to read your keys and and all of those things but for the most part the passing complex er, concepts aren't i don't think they're you know revolutionary and so a lot of it is just being able to work through your progressions and i just don't know that they've had a quarterback between Sims or Harburg that has shown any real skill at that. And that's difficult because I I just don't know what else you can really do. Uh, You can try to tell them where to go before the play, but that seems like that's already the problem. Yeah, Shafa, I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, the only thing I can think of, and this is a very simplistic answer is, you know, and especially kind of on that goal line pass where things are already kind of crowded and condensed is just, you know, I know, I know we've talked about this before, but kind of rolling guys out and cutting the field in half and removing a lot of the bodies from the equation and making the sight lines a little bit easier. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much or how often you can do that, but it feels like they haven't really done that at all. Does, does that really surprise you much? 
A little bit. It makes me wonder if they don't really have that much confidence in their ability to throw on the run, um, mm. that kind of thing, uh, because it it seems like something you would do with a Jeff Sims or a Heinrich Harburg, for that matter, like that you know sprint rollout play that kind of comes to mind. Those sorts of things we we haven't seen them. We see Heinrich Harburg drift a lot to the right sideline, uh, but it's not I think designed to do that. So it. it you know, I we, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, like you said, um, and I'm I'm totally fine with the idea in principle. It just makes me wonder if they haven't been able to execute it a lot uh, during the year. I also, you know, there's just some things that it feels like they, they find in one game and then just go away from a little bit. I would like to see a few more of those short passes out of the backfield to Josh Fleeks just to kind of let him get to work against the linebackers if you can make a, a guy miss. Um, they had some nice goal line plays to, to Fleeks a few weeks ago. I thought that could have been, you know, more helpful for them this past game when you get in close like that. But it's it's just hard to say. I mean, I I don't know. Um, I don't know that there's a lot that they can do uh, to to really make it easier. They just need guys to start making plays. And at times that happened in October, and it's just not right now in November. Well, Shave, okay, let's let's turn our attention to Wisconsin now before uh, or at least as this interview winds down because they seem to be in no better place than Nebraska today. Obviously, each team has their strengths. They have their weaknesses. Who's in a better state, though, program-wise today in your mind? Does Nebraska still have a leg up in the culture department despite the on-field struggles? I think so. Um and partly because I just the way that the the fickle thing went down, I think the thought that it was going to be more of an not in house, but just the thought that it was going to be a Wisconsin guy, and then it wasn't, and then they're sort of changing the ethos of Wisconsin with the offense a little bit. Uh, I think that's harder to buy from the outside walls than maybe what Matt Rule has done. But then you can also flip it like this, and if there are any Wisconsin fans listening, I apologize. They don't care that much relative to what Nebraska fans truly care about. So then it's also like, you know, any blowback Fickle gets, it's probably actually less than the blowback that Matt Rule received for not calling a run on third and seven or third and goal there. So it's, you know, in terms of measurement, I think people care significantly more about Nebraska football than they do about Wisconsin football. Uh, You know, um, so I, I think because of that, it's just hard to say, but I, I personally, I would feel better as a Nebraska fan than a Wisconsin fan at the moment. Um, mostly because I think what Matt Rule is attempting to do while working through all of these injuries is visible in that defense. What's happening over at Wisconsin, it's a lot harder to sell that there was progress being made this year versus what we've seen at Nebraska. Shave, how much of that has to do with – you know, bringing in a Tanner Mordecai who's a six-year, one-and-done QB and kind of the vibe that that gives that you're looking to win right away and then when it doesn't happen, you kind of sit there and say, okay, what now? Yeah, I, I don't think it's all that dissimilar, um, you know, for them in terms of what Matt Rule brought over with Jeff Sims and you're trying to to institute this offense and it clearly doesn't work. I mean, Wisconsin's trying to institute Phil Longo's offense. They went and got Tanner Mordecai because they didn't feel like there was anybody on the roster that could run it the way they wanted to. And then it doesn't look good. That just sort of feels like one of your first big decisions completely falls on its face. 
I mean, for Matt Rule, one of his first big decisions was to go out and get Jeff Sims. And then, you know, a lot of people extrapolate that to that means you push Casey Thompson out the door. And regardless of, of that entire conversation, it hasn't worked. Um, so I, I think there is a lot of similarity there. Uh, and I, you know, I, it doesn't mean the Phil Longo offense can't work. It just means that Wisconsin was going to need a lot more than one offseason and one a couple transfer portal additions. I think they have issues with wide receiver. I don't think their offensive line is nearly as good as it is. Tanner Mordecai is merely fine, and they need it better than that. And I don't know what happened with Braylon Allen. I don't know if it's a product of the offensive line, but they just don't They don't seem as threatening on offense. Mm-hmm. They haven't. I watched a lot of them early in the season and felt like they were particularly overrated at that time, and it's really kind of the, the bottom has fallen out. But Nebraska has to be in a position to take advantage of that, and I don't know that the three of us sitting here today feels like they really are as we head into Saturday. Shave quickly here, a uh, minute and a half to go. Uh, let's let's try to find something positive to end on here. If you had to find a bright spot, a, a bright spot, excuse me, from last weekend, and I know Emmett Johnson's the easy answer, but could I convince you to start with the defensive line? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the defensive line's been a bright spot for the entire year. They, they've been something I was excited about coming into the year, and they've been good, and so then I get to gloat about that a little bit. So it's <laughs> definitely a bright spot to me. I want to throw another offensive piece. I wrote about this yesterday real quickly. I'm excited about what Jalen Lloyd is getting out of this year. Uh, I thought that was an important 25-year catch down the field. I think we're seeing him develop more into being a wide receiver and not just a gadget player, which is what I thought he might be at Nebraska. And that's exciting. I mean, I you know, it's one catch, right? He only has four this year, but he's got four catches down the field. He can continue to develop as a as a big play threat, get better as a wide receiver. I mean, that's the sort of development that we're not going to be able to see as much during the season, but could pay big dividends next year. Big play threat. That's the key word there, because how has Nebraska won games this year? Big By play, somebody that play. made a big play. Uh, Shafe, we appreciate, appreciate you as always. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, guys. Have a good one. Thanks for Thanks, having me. Thanks, That's Mike Schaefer from Husker 24-7. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Jim Polzine a little bit more about Wisconsin football, how things stand up there. He's from the Wisconsin State Journal as we wrap up the show here on Herd Out Sports Radio. You're listening to Herd Out Sports Radio. There's two types of college football coaches. There's those who believe the players are there for them, and there's those who believe that they're there for the players. And Elijah knows he's there for the players, and Joey knows that he's there for the players, and that's what we we believe here. So um, hopefully everyone hires the right people. Welcome back here on Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. Andrew Rogers here with me. We are brought to you this segment by our great friends over at the Warhorse Sportsbook. They have the location, the casino over in Lincoln, mm-hmm. and now you can go place your sports bets at the Horseman's Park in Omaha. That's 6303, 6303 Q Street. They've got the little uh, setup in the in the infield, right? Sure do. You yep, you go. drive um, what seems like all, a half mile. 
Um, maybe they call it um, a length. Good signage, though, right? They, Great they They're signage. very good at, at, yep. at telling well, you where to go. It, it's funny, too, because you you drive in, and it, it's kind of like a billboard that, like, if you're on the highway and you see a billboard for mm-hmm. a college, and it's like, do you know where you're going? <laughs> I've got the answer, right? Like, that's like <laughs> yeah. this type of signage you have driving into Warhorse. It's like, do you feel lucky? You're going to win today. Like, things like that. I'm like, ah, these guys are great. Yeah. <laughs> And so you can go over to Horseman's Park, 6303 Q Street, or uh, to the Warhorse Sportsbook uh, in the casino in Lincoln. They've got all sorts of your favorite bets covered, pretty much every major sporting event. They've got straight bets, parlays, props. I know you love the props and the parlays. Sure do. And I love the in-game. Ate me up last night. I love the in-game betting. All of those are accepted. Go to warhorsecasino.com slash sportsbook or get the Warhorse Casino app for details and full list of house rules. Or you got the bet builder on there as well. You can put your bets together, then go to either Horseman's Park or the casino and just scan the QR codes, get that Mm -hmm. thing done. Which is actually better than mobile betting because Mm -hmm. if you mobile bet, you still have to go through all the steps of logging in, face ID, Mm -hmm. passcode, things like that. Then if there's a profit boost boost available, you can't have your bet slip sitting there and apply the profit boost. Mm -hmm. You have to click the profit boost, clear your bet slip, and then redo it to get the profit boost. Mm -hmm. And so like that's like the nice part about the convenience of the Warhorse Bet Builder app Mm -hmm. because you can build it, you go, you scan it, and boom, it's on the screen, you hit place. Just ready to go. Mm -hmm. You love to see it. Uh, That is the Warhorse Sportsbook. No bets, no glory. Uh, All right, I know there was a couple things that I got to earlier that you wanted to get to as well, so let's fire away. Yeah, so I just want to touch on um, something, and this was kind of the focal point of of Coach Rule's presser yesterday, of taking the blame, putting everything on him, Mm -hmm. and by doing so, it it let me think, um, you know, a couple of different ways. One, uh, by hearing him say that, which I I figured he would, Mm -hmm. uh, but at least it gave some clarity. Uh, it, it tells me that he has every ability to take over play calling at any point if he deems if he needs necessary. To. Yeah. Right now, though, it also was stated that Satterfield's his guy. Yeah. And he's not changing that. No. And you know what? I don't know if I'm unhappy with that take. And now that may be unpopular, but we all have to remember that this isn't the ideal offense that they wanted to run coming into the season no matter how bad it looks Mm -hmm. and I'm actually fine with giving one more year but if problems continue then I expect reevaluation to take Mm -hmm. place and I think coach rule would be able to do that because as much as these guys are his family he's able to separate family and business and he's going to make sure the business side of it works because he's not going to allow his team to fail like, if, if you look up five reasons to fail, five common reasons to fail, mm-hmm. the things you come across are, like, a lack of trust and opportunities to build from it. You get uh, bad management, which there's, uh, there's absolutely no reason for me to believe that there's bad leadership mm-hmm. uh, on this staff. Like, Coach Rule's the, the number one. Everybody else below answers to rule, and then the players answer to their position coaches and so forth down the list. And that's that CEO approach that we've talked about for a while. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's bad management, even if the message isn't super clear for their quarterbacks or if it's not like translating from practice to games. There's, there's nobody on this staff that's like, oh, uh, the reward is only for me, mm-hmm. right? They, they, the reward is for 
everybody else but but them. The, the selflessness of the staff. We talked about a little bit selflessness with with Creighton basketball this year mm-hmm. and how they moved the basketball. I, I see that a lot with this with this coaching staff too on how it's more for others than themselves. And there's not a misunderstanding of what this team is or should be because the culture is laid out. The standard is there. Mm-hmm. So that's not an issue either. And it, it hasn't been deep enough to have poor recruitment strategies or tactics or things like that. So there's no reason to believe that this team is failing right now, even though it's hard. Sure. And so I had a drink like, you know, a cup of humble juice yesterday too. <laughs> because, I, you know, just like everybody else, I was critical yep. and I thought coach said it right. You can be critical. Yeah. You can be critical and of this should, staff, and, you should, and you should allow for that yeah. because you're in a position to be critical. Mm-hmm. We don't sit in these chairs to, to claim that we're right about everything. Mm-hmm. We'll say things, and then we expect people on our YouTube stream to combat us. Yeah. Um, I expect somebody to, uh, to be my uh, mad dog. TK is that <laughs> to me most days. <laughs> Right, I'll be Stephen A, and he can be Mad Dog, and you know that—that's what you expect in these type of conversations because that—that's the role you're in. But I, uh, it, it goes back to something I said last week: the ownership that this staff takes in everything mm-hmm. is what you want at the end of the day. Yeah, you want people to be able to say that they succeeded and they failed, and they can, in both instances, keep their chin up. Yeah, so I. The ownership is a big deal for me and the accountability because, honestly, that was my big issue with the previous staff is I didn't feel like they took accountability for anything. And I thought that filtered down to the players to the point where, okay, how do you expect the players to ever take responsibility for their actions and for their mistakes and to get better from them if that's not the behavior being modeled by the coaching staff? And It's a challenge. And that's what I that's why I firmly believed that Scott Frost and staff wouldn't be able to turn it around because I, I thought you I thought he would have had to fundamentally change who he was as a person to start taking ownership and modeling that behavior. And I just didn't think he was gonna do that. Coach Rule, whatever, you know, lapses there may be in terms of what we've seen on the football field this year, he has never wavered and one of the reasons I've always I've liked him pretty much from the jump was he always takes responsibility and accountability and ownership for everything. And even things he probably shouldn't have to and things that he probably doesn't have to. He will take ownership to a fault. And that is the behavior you want modeled to your players. Because even though it's not being, you know, we're not seeing it come to fruition when the, in the turnovers right now, right? You're... You did see the penalties cleaned up. You know, they talked about procedure penalties being an issue. That was one of the huge issues under the previous coaching staff was messing things up, coming out of timeouts, procedural issues, procedural penalties. They've gotten one penalty in the last two games, and it was a pass interference call, which is a subjective call, and it was probably a pass interference. It's probably the right call, but that's a, hey, I'm trying to make a play. That's not a... That's not a, a what a stupid penalty, you know, where you're just not focused or a lack of, you know, an unforced error. That you're trying to make a play on a ball, you're trying to make a play on a receiver. Pass interferences are going to happen, and you're going to live with those all the time. But it's the procedural stuff. It's the, um, you know, taking timeouts and not getting plays in after breaks and after, um, you know, after quarter breaks and after commercial breaks and things like that. It's little stuff like that that you've seen already cleaned up that you say, okay, yeah, the turnovers are still a huge issue. It still needs to be addressed. You still have to fix that. But 
because I've seen these other things improve, because I've seen these other areas where the accountability and the ownership is obvious, then it gives me hope and it gives me belief that the other things can get fixed as well. You know, we talked about it earlier this week. The offensive line had been really, really bad last year. It had been bad for stretches this year, although I think the run blocking was, for the most part, good most of the year. Then Rule mentions, you know, I, I said it yesterday. I was like, man, I think that might be the best offensive line performance we've seen all year. Rule reiterates that in his press conference. They have taken ownership and accountability, despite the fact mm-hmm. that they're missing two starters, despite the fact that New Willie missed a couple games, despite the fact that Ben Scott's playing with a strained or sprained, strained, whatever, MCL. It's not like they've got ideal situations on the offensive line, and that's why it's working out better than it has in the past. They've taken ownership and accountability, and they've taken that to the next level, and now they're producing as a unit. You just hope you start to see that in the other position groups as well. Now, there is always a however sure. in life. Yep. And if there's toxicity in a work environment ever, mm-hmm. or someone is constantly failing at their job at the team's expense, you get rid of that person. End of story. Change is not always bad. I know that Coach Rule had ended up saying, like, oh, yeah, you know, when things go bad, like, you know, the, the instant reaction is to change, change, change. Well, you don't want to prolong right. poor judgment calls or, or things like that, which could impact the team more. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a balance. It, it's, it's when you think it's been long enough, and it's without going over yeah. that bridge of being – too far and, and now it's doomed and, and there's it's the land of no return right so I but I believe in coach rule like I, yeah. I think he's done a great job in, in having that balance and at this point you know you just have to expect the expected you can't expect the unexpected with this team this game's going in the fourth quarter against Wisconsin this week expect the expected and we'll talk about that more with Jim Polzine coming up next You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Mordecai takes a snap. He'll give it to Braylon off the rather. Mordecai keeps it running left to the 10 to the 5. Touchdown, Wisconsin. Oh, a beautiful fake. They were geared toward Agent Zero. And Tanner Mordecai says, I got this. And the Badgers are first on the board. Wrapping up the show here on a Tuesday. Already? I know. It's, it's like you just got here. Uh, weird. <laughs> we are uh, live on AM590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. I'm Robin Lula. That's Andrew Rogers. Joining us now from the Wisconsin State Journal is Jim Polsey. Jim, how are you this morning? Good. How are you guys? Good, we Jim. We are Good. doing well uh, as we come towards another version of Nebraska and Wisconsin. We wanted to get your feel on how this year one under Luke Fickle has gone. If you were to give it a letter grade through 10 games, based on your expectations coming into the season, how would you grade out this Wisconsin team? So, it's funny you asked that because I was asked this exact same question in my mailbag last week at the time. And I said, <laughs> And I said C minus. Now I think I will adjust that after um, a home loss to Northwestern, in which Wisconsin just Nebraska ball will dance this year. They didn't look like Nebraska ball will dance this year. There they got physically beat down. They got out coached. They got everything. So I would probably drop it another half letter grade or so to a a D plus or or even a D. Yeah, it's just been you know like it's one thing like I, I think looking back and this is kind of me examining 
myself to some degree about what I wrote and, and how I kind of, you know, dealt with all the hype that this program had in the off season. Um, you know, I don't think I was, I think I was mostly tap the brakes guy. And, and there are a lot of people that went full, put their foot on the gas pedal and we're going to the playoff, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think I was pretty reserved about it, but even this, I didn't expect, like I didn't expect losing at Indiana. I didn't expect losing by, you know, 14 points at home to Northwestern. Um, so some of this, some of this you can explain away, but there's a certain amount to this where you, you just have to sit there and admit that this coaching staff has not gotten the most out of out of the roster that um, it inherited. Jim, go deeper for me because many expected this team to be the representative of the Big Ten West in the title game. What do you think has played into the downfall of that preseasonal expectation? How long do you have? Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think where we start is is offense, right? Like this. This, his offense has struggled uh, for years under Paul Christ. It just was an offense that was dysfunctional and, and um, not good, and especially at the quarterback position. And then Phil Longo, Luke Fickle brought in Phil Longo, the air raid. I think people got excited that, hey, holy crap, Wisconsin's moving into the uh, modern era of, of offenses, and it just hasn't worked so far. Now, I will say this, and this is going to sound like excuses, um, injuries have definitely played a role. Matt Mordecai missed some time. Braylon Allen has missed some time. Um, some receivers have missed some time. Ches Malusi, losing him at running back was a big, big loss because he was, he was really the team's most explosive player on offense. Um, so that has absolutely played into some of this. But, you know, this is where I will refuse to use injuries as an excuse. Look around the West Division, including the team that you guys, um, you know, that you guys cover, everybody's got hit by injuries and bad mm-hmm. injuries. And, and so you can't use it as a crutch. And so I just think the fact that we're 10 games into this and there's no identity for this team and certainly this offense is, is troubling. And it just, it's a sign to me that they're going to have to go. They went hard in the transfer portal last year. Um, they're going to have to go even harder this year. Jim, what did you, I, I guess, kind of make of the, of the decision of the coaching staff to kind of go into win now mode, bringing in a a you know six year guy and Tanner Mordecai, um, do you think that was the right call in retrospect, or you know I know historically Wisconsin's been a little bit more of a developmental program, um, maybe not to the degree of Iowa, but you know that that's kind of been where their bread's been buttered. In retrospect, do you think that was the right move for Fickle in year one? I think it's easy to second-guess that decision, but I, I, so, I certainly was on board with it because I, I, and I think they, looked at this roster and said, we can win now. We can certainly win the West Division with this roster. Sure. Um, you can look at this, look at a 7-6 and six team last year and, and kind of blame coaching and, and the transition between Paul Christ and Jim Leonard and say, well, that was a 7-6 and six team in, in record only. They really probably were a 9-3 and three team. And I think there's a certain confidence with this coaching staff that, hey, we could take a 9-3 and team and make it a 10-2 and or 11-1 team. Um, because the schedule, frankly, if you look at the schedule, it, it was very, very favorable. Um, so I think there's maybe a little bit of hubris there, but I, I'm not going to blame them for that because I think I was certainly in that boat too. Like, hey, you add some pieces, uh, you get the right people in this air raid offense. Um, and I thought they did. They, like you mentioned Mordecai, I think a, a, a win-now quarterback was a big step, but they also did bring in some developmental guys, mm-hmm. and they, they really they really uh, changed a complete overhaul at the wide receiver position, and that's where I kind of been, have been the most disappointed, is that I just thought 
some of those guys would have been more impact players immediately. Jim, Fickle and other team leaders verbally frustrated with the effort during the last stretch of games, but especially following that Northwestern defeat. Think that energy loss is a deep-rooted issue, or is this just a case of personnel not being good enough right now? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's a case of a first-year coaching staff not completely being in line with their players, and that's not that's not really um, that's, I think that's natural to some degree. Um, I think they've only known some of these guys for an off season, mm-hmm. and you can go through the off season. I mean, this team worked really hard in the off season. I, I don't question that. Um, and and he tried to bond the coaches and players together, and I think they thought the chemistry was good. But you don't know you don't know the chem- you don't know what a chem- team's chemistry is until you hit adversity. And what happened is, you know, there's a couple moments of adversity early on. I think this team thought it could still salvage a, a, its season. I think the Ohio State game took a lot out of them. And then, you know, I, I don't know if they thought they just had gone to Indiana and let talent, sheer talent win. Um, but then you lose that one, it's like, holy cow, we're, you know, we're way worse than we thought. But that's where I thought the kind of the come-to-Jesus moment, the wake-up call would be that, all right, we are as low as we can go we need to just rely purely on passion and pride and, and, and extending this bowl streak. Um, and that it was the exact opposite last week at home against Northwestern. So I don't know. I really don't know what to expect this week. I'm probably as fascinated as I've ever been going into a game because you say the kind of things you do last year, last week after a game. Um, and it's re- it's a real, it's an inflection point, And I, I honestly don't know how this team's going to come out on Saturday. Jim, as you've watched this Wisconsin team and this Nebraska team in what is a, uh, we'll call it interesting, Big Ten West, <laughs> um, where do you think are some areas where Wisconsin might be able to find some success against Nebraska? Well, I think they're going to have a real trip a real hard time moving the ball. I mean, that's the one thing I think I would expect a low-scoring game. I think Wisconsin, at times, not lately, but at times, has created turnovers. So I think that's kind of probably the best path to victory is force some interceptions, maybe maybe even score off one, um, or create at the very least create some field position. Um, I think, for me, I'm watching this first 15 minutes of this game because you, you knew last week the first 15 minutes were – were obvious that this team wasn't there and that it was going to be a long day. Hmm. Um, I think any sign, any sign of trouble early on, and I think this one could be just like last week, and Nebraska comes in here and um, and wins this game. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see how they respond to to the all the stuff that was said after the game last week. But from a pure X's and O standpoint, this just this team just doesn't have anything to hang its hat on right now. So it's if I'm sounding like I'm hard pressed to come up with ways, um, it's because I truly am, Jim. Five and two just three weeks ago, but because of the last three weeks, obviously five and five. Do you think fans are still receiving Luke Fickle well in year one, though, beside where their record sits today and everything that we've we've talked about? It's been a mix, and I always it's always hard to say because social media is you know this vacuum, and um, I think people were mostly on board with this hire last December, and now all of a sudden you have people who are like, oh, they should have just stick, stuck with Jim Leonard. And and um, I don't know if those same people were saying that last December. I think everybody kind of wanted to change and were excited by the potential for a different kind of offense. Um, I really don't know if they'd be any better under Jim Leonard uh, than they are under Luke Fickle. I think it's been a, it's just kind of been an eye-opener for people that this program needs a lot of work um, and it's maybe going to take longer than, than people uh, hoped or expected because – 
like you said, I think you use these words that the problems, the, the problems, that those roots run deep, and mm-hmm. it's it's going to be kind of a a long climb. And the worst part is, and I pointed this out, uh, it doesn't get any easier because all of a sudden the Big Ten gets a lot more difficult next year. The schedules get a lot more difficult. These guys, I don't know if you know this, these guys have Alabama on their non-conference schedule early next season. So Whew. it's um, sounds yeah, like an easy even one. If things, yeah, even if things were going well here, uh, I, I've kind of looked at next season as being. You know, nine and three would have been a pretty good season, um, and that was two or three weeks ago when I was thinking that. So it's it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, Jim, real quick here before we let you go, we got about a minute left. Um, Braylon Allen hasn't been the dominant force this year that he has been in years past. Is that just a reflection of the changing offensive philosophies, or is there something else going on there? Is it, it part because uh, Malusi's been out to take some of the pressure off him as well? Like, what have you seen there with the Braylon Allen situation? Yeah, I think he could have flourished in the system. I think for a little bit he did. I, I do think the injuries, uh, the, the loss of Malusi just has put more pressure on him. I think they were kind of viewing Allen as a, a 15 to 18 carry guy, um, and he's had a little bit more of a workload. And then his own injuries. I mean, he he, he was playing pretty well, and then he uh, uh, hurt his ankle early in the Ohio State game first half. So it's been a little bit of a struggle for him uh, to, to stay healthy, and I think that's been a big factor. And then, you know, Again, I think teams have gotten back into just let's stop Wisconsin's run because they haven't proven they can pass efficiently um, just like the past year. Jim Polsey from the Wisconsin State Journal. Jim, we appreciate your time as always, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. Thanks, Jim. That's Jim Polsey from the Wisconsin State Journal covering the Wisconsin Badgers. Man, he, he sounded maybe even more down than Nebraska fans do. You know, one thing that I think Nebraska can rest their head on yeah. is that they are much, much stronger in the culture department. I think that's right. Uh, tomorrow we will be back with more Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Robbie Lula. That's Andrew Rogers. I'll try to be here for three hours tomorrow. <laughs>